Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor Rivera. Will, I'm hoping that we've got a lot of hungover Ole Miss fans who are listening to this. If that is indeed the case, I'll just say this softly. Congrats to everyone. You're doing great, sweaty. Hey, the sport of baseball has been great to the state of Mississippi. You know, really, it's been so great. They can both just, you know, hold that that trophy up high and say that's ours. Uh, something tells me they're not going to hold up that trophy together. Right? No, they'll get <laughs> they separate w- trophies and hold them up angrily. They'll treat it like a wishbone. Yeah, that's what they'll do with that thing. College World Series was incredible, though. It was awesome to watch. And hand up, like I didn't think there was anyone who was going to stop that Oklahoma team. They were really good. I watched them do everything right against AM, but fitting to see an SEC team with a sub 500 conference record win it all. And the fact that Ole Miss got to win its first national title a year after Mississippi State did that probably made it a little bit sweeter. Of course it did. Right. I mean, that's that just comes with the territory. First time ever that three different programs from the same conference won three consecutive College World Series titles. Don't forget that when Arizona and Arizona State, um, when they did that with USC, like back in the 70s, Arizona and Arizona State weren't in the Pac-8 or whatever it was at the time. Commonly forgotten. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Very commonly forgotten. And I, I think there were a lot of people who saw when I tweeted that out, they're like, wait, I wonder if, and then they looked that up and they're like, oh, Connor's probably wrong. No, I'm right, trust me. Um, <laughs> Here's a, here's a fun fact to start us off, Will. When was the last time that a non-SEC team won a national title in football or baseball? Who and when? I mean, football or baseball. I feel like, I know it would have been like the Clemson 2018 football one, but then was baseball, I don't know what baseball was that year. No, you're right. You're exactly right. Because it would have been, yeah, it's the 2018-19 school year. And technically, because fall is after the spring, right. that was the last time. That Clemson team. So the last time a non-SEC team won a national title in football or baseball was freshman Trevor Lawrence. Wow. Let that sink in. Yeah, six different SEC programs have won either a football or a baseball national title since then, which is absolutely bananas because um, math tells me that's almost half the conference. I was thinking about what the over-under should be for combined baseball and football national titles in the 2020s decade. If So, like, there are 19 possible titles mm-hmm. because we missed the year of the College World Series in 2020. Right. So, if there's 19, I think the over-under for combined baseball and football titles won by SEC teams should be 12. Jeez. That sounds ridiculous, I, but it sounds correct. Like, at this point, we're already, yeah, halfway there. I mean, they're already at four, so there's 15 left. Mm-hmm. Basically, will the SEC win at least half of the remaining titles in baseball and football in the 2020s? I'd say probably. Okay. Probably a pretty good chance of that. Um, but anyways, yes, yeah, shout out to Ole Miss. Unbelievable year. Tim Elko, build the statue. They, they should. Mm-hmm. I hope they do. That, that statue, I don't know where it's going to be on the, the Swayze Field property, but that's that, that seems very, very imminent. Anyways, great pod lined up today. Got some perspective on Arch Manning and the expectations for five-star quarterbacks. SEC Network announcer Mike Morgan is going to join us in a bit. We talked a little bit of Will Levis, a, f- a few Florida things in sports movies as well. We're also going to be talking about healthy food and figuring out. I promise, I promise, I promise. Terrorism. It is not just... Saw the notification on Facebook. I was like, wow. Fat shame to be on my phone. (laughs) I did not even consult Will for that one. Oftentimes, we'll like bounce back and forth about figuring out ideas. Will will come up with some that are just great. I was like, no, I'm just going to run with this one, and I want to catch you off guard, and we'll we'll be able to roll with it as well. And it's not just going to be me talking about why people should eat right. Mm -hmm. I I promise it's not going to be that. So if you saw that and thought, oh my God, this is going to suck, 
It will not, I promise. Next week's And then we're going to have lead of the week. Being six feet tall. All right, that's, <laughs> come on. You, you chose violence yes, for that? exactly. Listen, listen, we got to have a random Bopolini slander. We got to have random violence. That's how it goes, man. How dare you? How dare you? Before we do all that, though, uh, Will, it's it's not often that we talk about the state of recruiting with a program in June. Yes. Uh, especially for a year one coach. Doesn't seem like something we do very often, but Florida's recent developments kind of feels like it warrants that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, basically here's kind of the, the rundown. Mm -hmm. There are concerns about Billy Napier's recruiting and the inability to close on some of these four and five star guys in his first full cycle. Uh, there was this strange open letter to Florida fans on Friday from Billy Napier. Mm -hmm. I, correct me if I'm wrong here, I cannot remember ever seeing a coach come out and do that before he coached a game. It was like kind of similar to his opening statement as well. Cause it was very like Aaron Rodgers relaxed, but it's like, I already told y'all to relax. You'll probably relax again. Yeah, I don't know, just interesting. Uh, then on Sunday, we find out from an on three report that four-star quarterback Jaden Rashada allegedly got $11 million worth of NIL money to be able to go to Florida, but instead accepted a $9.5 million NIL deal to go to Miami, or at least that's what his representative, Michael Caspino, wants us to believe. Yeah. If, you case, it, it, like, if you can't tell from me saying that, I definitely have skepticism, okay? Darren Heitner reported that Caspino uh, leaked that number to On3 because, hey, that's what sports agents have been doing at the professional level forever. Facts. They give Adam Schefter the highest number for the contract instead of what's actually guaranteed. And just like that, we're all thinking that Taysom Hill is somehow making nearly $100 million. Oh, the Taysom Hill discourse. Um, yeah, if you guys want if you guys want the messiest like verified article you've almost ever read, that On3 article is like... You keep reading, and you're like, who has an agenda here? Like, I said it to you as like slander, and like you'll see the excerpts all over the Facebook group, and it's like, this can't be a real article. Like, either this guy is lying yeah. out of his face, or like things are bad. Like, okay, so yeah, that, that's part of it. And the the problem with the way this is working with some of these figures that are that are being leaked is that coaches obviously aren't allowed to address a player by name until he's signed. Right. So there's no way for Billy Napier to come out and say, I promise you we did not make this offer to Jaden Rashada for $11 million with our collective. Like, you're not gonna see that. Mm -hmm. If you're wondering why that hasn't happened, it's because that is the most obvious NCAA violation you can have, even more obvious than what looks like pay for play in this case with, with Miami and, and Florida, the way this is being reported, negotiated, all these different things. And we don't know what exactly is in each of those contracts, keep that in mind. Does he stay for three years? What if he stays for five? Blah, 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 blah. Like, there's also never been more incentive to lie. Right. <laughs> Which is a crazy thing to say about college football, given its history. If you were, let's just hypothetically say, an agent with an ax to grind and you wanted to throw a program like Florida under the bus because maybe you felt like one of your clients didn't get what they were worth, you could, in theory, float out that an in-state rival won a recruiting battle with less money and you could get away with they it. Couldn't deny it really? yeah. They couldn't deny it, really. They couldn't do anything. So, and meanwhile, the NCAA is probably not gonna do anything even though, again, this really looks like pay for play in about every single way. Even though we already know the NCAA is investigating Miami and its collective and all of these big time boosters but how much is that really going to matter? I don't necessarily know. So before you freak out about the numbers that are being thrown out there, and I've seen a lot of people just say, you know what, to hell with college football. I'm going to be done with this. I can't stand the idea of a four-star quarterback getting an eight-figure deal. What are we really doing here? Before you say that, 
I think it's important to remember who is leaking these things and why they're leaking them, all right? Mm -hmm. That's key. We're used to this at the professional level. I, I think we've gotten used to this in the last like two years, especially with NFL contracts. And Ryan Russillo always does such a great job of breaking down some of these things in terms of what's real right. and what's not. And why do they want you to think it's real? Because they're competing against each other, obviously, and they want to make their client look good. The same is going to be happening with college sports. The same thing is going to be happening with NIL. Having said that, the people that I've talked to said that even if, with that being the case, that being kind of the issue and the way that this has played out with Jaden Rashada, Billy Napier's closing ability has to improve if he's going to elevate Florida's talent level to the place it needs to be to compete with Alabama and Georgia, mm -hmm. right? Like that's, that's something that I think even, even Florida fans who are at the most extreme end of the spectrum of the support Napier and those on the extreme end of the, the sky is falling spectrum, I think they could all meet in the middle on that one. The open letter isn't a great sign. It's just not. But I did see that Only Gators reported that the letter had apparently been in the works for a month. But then I also go on the other side of it and say, Wait, did, did Napier see Florida whiffing on that many guys that he knew <laughs> that's he was one of the classic like, letter out? That's worse, right? Like it's like the yeah. whatever they announced, like, oh well, like we had interest from Lick and Riley, Ed Ryan Kelly, and all these other guys, it's like you realize <laughs> that's not what you want to report, right? That you've been planning on this for a while. Yes. Okay, so I, I wanna maintain my stance. I am not going to rush to judgment right. with year one coaches. I, I refuse to say that they are either destined for success or destined for failure until at least year two. Yep. We gotta get to year two. Before, we can be optimistic about certain things. We can be pessimistic about certain things, but let's not make these wholesale determinations based on some of these things that happen, especially for a coach who has not coached a game yet. And I do think that if Napier turns around the mistakes of Anthony Richardson, the offense takes off, that's gonna help. The, the new $85 million facility that's opening up this fall, that's gonna help. But Will, explain why you're at a different place with this and why you're more of the mindset that Billy Napier is staring at a very steep climb right now. Because I think that coming from Mullen, people could always fall back on Mullen as this X's and O's genius, right? And so we've talked about in here the different ways you can build a program. You have these like CEO type guys, you know, Saban, Kirby, like those type of guys who obviously are good X's and O's guys, but are about building the program, right? With Billy Napier, <laughs> with Billy Napier. I love when you sneak in a program right. reference. Billy Napier was a program coach. He was the, hey, we got rid of the X's and O's guy that was all on field. You know, that guy thought that his scheme could beat anyone. I'm gonna come in here and change this. And every quote that came out about Napier was, I'm from the Saban system. I'm a disciple of this. We're gonna get money in here. We're gonna get a collective. We're gonna get a practice facility. We're gonna get all these different off the field wins. So if you're an on the field coach like Mullen, I can look at you and try to throw out everything else. I can say, I can look at your wins and losses. But if your brand is, I'm an off the field coach, I'm gonna bring in recruiters as position coaches. I'm gonna bring in guys that are here to create a buzz. Guys that are gonna make us a first class program, not on the field, but off the field, because that's where Mullen fell behind. So if you're gonna come from this place of, you know, we're gonna bring Florida into the 21st century, and that stuff isn't about on the field, because like I said, they just fired a guy who had just won the SEC East. They just fired a guy who was in New Year's Six Bowl games, winning games. So if you're gonna tell me the expectation of Florida now isn't winning games necessarily, it's about the logo, it's about the brand, it's about the quality of recruit you're bringing in, the vibe, that type of stuff. I think that it does become kind of an issue when you have, and, and just quickly, like 
this is just my take on the whole thing. I think that in the first part of the cycle, he led like leaned pretty heavily on his like Louisiana ties. Went after guys like Harold Perkins. Went after guys um, like Walker Howard, and that stuff didn't really pan off. And then while that was happening, Mario Cristobal, who's also also a first year head coach, swept in. And you talk about take a guy like Citizen, and now we see this with Rashad. And you could talk about money and the collective and all that stuff, but that's supposed to be Billy Napier's bread and butter. So I understand like whatever logic you have for like saying this doesn't matter. Mario Cristobal is doing the same thing in less time because that dude is coming from Oregon. <laughs> it, that flight is long. And so like it, it would be one thing if it was these two like powerhouse programs in Miami and in Florida State that are, that are you know, battling and there's just, you know, you gotta give Billy some runway. But Mario, it feels like in-state has kind of jumped him in recruiting. So that's my only thing. I'm still withholding judgment for sure. And this isn't like a dump on Florida thing. It's just a little check mark here because I was saying this stuff about Mullen before anybody else was. And I think in the end, I was kind of right. And so I'm just saying, we're gonna take a temperature check here. We'll check back in a year. We'll check back in another year. But here's where we're at. There's no, there's no spin in it. And, and look, I, I, I'll, I'll back you up on that. You were definitely the, the person saying very early on, Mullen is not getting enough talent. Mullen is not getting enough talent. And I found myself being like, well, if he is a top two, top three offensive mind in the sport, let's see how much he can overcome that. Obviously, if you go two and nine against power five opponents in your final 11 games against that competition, your decision to, 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 to fire that guy is going to be pretty easy, right? Like mm -hmm. that much we know. I think what's interesting is that it feels like the timing of this has just been like one bad thing after another yep. in terms of like four or five guys who Florida fans were like, okay, this guy's ours. Yep. And then like, oh, he's going to Penn State? Oh, he's going to Michigan State? Like, oh, oh, Miami? Oh, like, so I think that happening one after another. And then the Cormani McLean is, is really interesting because if you kind of know the background, a uh, dude from, from Lakeland, I believe, who, number three recruit in the entire 2023 class, right? Mm -hmm. It's number one corner. And if he were to all of a sudden announce that he's verbally committed to Miami or something, like he's just visited Miami, just visited Alabama, a guy who, look, Florida fans are, are expecting to be able to get him. You hire a coach like Corey Raymond. If Corey Raymond whiffs on a guy like that at, at his bread and butter position, you just kind of wonder, oh man, this this staff has a long way to go and i think they do and that's the thing that i'm going to really try and remember with this with this florida team and with this rebuild with what billy napier is trying to do is he's he has preached patience because of wanting to establish those relationships wanting to be able to have those that staff in there to go into img and now he has his second img commit and potentially his second img signee which we know was a big issue with dan mullen so I kind of look at that situation and go, things are not great based on the past month and they can get worse. Or a headline like McLean commits to Florida, right. if that were to happen in the next couple of weeks, all of a sudden, a lot of these questions kind of go away. And you're thinking, okay, all right, you know what? That's, that's the big one to be able to get. That's the exact type of guy that Mullen seemingly couldn't get. At least not until he went into the transfer portal and he struggled after year one or year two or something like that. And eh, I don't know how much the Demarcus Bowman thing really matters in the grand scheme of things. But you the did eternal you prospect. Quick to point that out. Demarcus Bowman, the eternal prospect. He's that guy that's a five star on paper. There was like he's going to be different for us. But yeah, he's at UCF now, I think. So we'll see. If he just lights the world on fire at UCF, it might look bad. But at this point, it's like, dude, figure it out. Like get your life in yeah. order. I don't know. 
if so this is and this is going to be different because like florida's in in this weird place where you've seen them compete for sec championships in theory i don't know how close those post tebow teams have really been to that right i and you, there are a lot of people say like all right 2020 that florida team of course but still the defense was so unbelievably bad that team was not winning a national championship with that defense right. it just was not happening i'm sorry but i i kind of look at this now and i go well what if they followed the, in theory, the Clemson model? And if this is too hope merchanty, Will, I want you to tell <laughs> okay. me. I want you to tell me. Mm -hmm. The model of Clemson with Dabo, after he gets there, he takes over midseason. His third full season there was the first time they hit double-digit wins. Mm -hmm. Now, it wasn't an overhaul, but at the same time, Dabo was big time support staff. We got to be able to rebuild the culture, ironically enough, doing that with Billy Napier yep. as his OC and making these tough decisions along the way to where by year five, that's when they kind of start to turn things around. That's when they finish in the top 10 for the first time in the AP poll, at least. So if that's the plan, does Florida even have enough patience to last that long? Or will it be spun too quickly that he is being a hope merchant and that the progress isn't at the level that they want? Because keep in mind, like, they have not followed that model with Muschamp. They didn't follow that model with McIlwain. They didn't follow it with, with Mullen either because when you have that early success, mm -hmm. you set the bar higher. Mm -hmm. And if they progress in this sort of way, that'll be different than anything. I mean, even, it'll even be different than Urban because Urban year two obviously wins the national championship. They are so used to having that reward in year two just right there. And we've talked about that with Auburn as well yeah. and how that can kind of be a little bit of like a, of, of a, of a catch 22 in certain ways. So right. do you think Florida could potentially have enough patience for that type of model or is that model a pipe dream? So actually you make a really good point there. I think you're right. And I think that whenever Billy Napier made that first statement, I agreed with it. And I think that fundamentally you kind of got to agree with the one that just came out too, because it's like, He's not going to go out there and win double-digit games in the SEC, especially with that Utah game we keep talking about. Like, So it would be a lot smarter for him to shoot for six or seven wins in the regular season this year, and then eight or nine, and then you know start competing with his guys. And you're right. I think that Mullen, when he came in, you know they didn't really have a talent... Like, they didn't really have a talent problem as much the first two guys before Mullen. Like, obviously, Muschamp could recruit, and then Mac came in, and obviously, we always joke about Mac's recruits with Mullen. Like, they had some guys that developed really well under Mullen, and I'm not taking that away from them. So, yeah, that's very interesting, and, and I think that that's what he needs to do. On the other side of it, you know, a lot of these fan bases in the SEC have seen that type of success. Like, we talk about guys that could just recruit off the bat, and Muschamp was one of those guys. But Kirby came in, and it was just gangbusters. It was five-star, 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 five-star. And I want there to be a documentary in, like, 20 years about how that went, because immediately that dude was bringing talent in. Like, after, they had that bad season to start off, too, and it just didn't matter. And you could tell things were kind of brewing. And so it sucks to have to look across the aisle at Georgia and compare your success to that. But I think with Florida fans, like, Florida is objectively just a better, like, physical destination. Like, physically, you'd rather be in Gainesville, Florida, than in Athens, as great as Athens is. And I love Athens, and I love Georgia. I live in Georgia. Like, don't get me wrong. But I think that Florida fans and the Florida administration has to say, we trust our guy, we trust our guns, we trust our location, we trust our boosters, we trust our environment, and we're just going to let it play out because if they start peeking over at other people's papers, it's going to be a disaster. One thing that I think we, I think we just in nature disagree about this. One, one more thing I wanted to hit on with with Florida. Mm -hmm. I think Florida has the blueprint to be able to fix its failures in a way that few programs have. Yeah. And here's what I mean by that. 
I think we've seen very obviously the way that it has played out with Florida and Georgia over the past few years and the way that Kirby went about things and the way that Mullen went about things. And it's very different to be at a place like Florida and to actually know what success, sustainable success looks like. Sustainable success isn't walking into an Outback Bowl presser and calling out your AD because you want to be able to get these facilities. Gosh, Shout out Jim McAway. I missed Jim McAway and that guy was a treat. That, that's the type of stuff that you, you, you theoretically should not be doing in Florida. You just shouldn't. And are we ever going to get to a place where Florida has that sustainable success where they can be able to have a coach for five or six years? That's, I think, going to be the biggest question that I have moving forward for Napier. What's tolerated, what's not? And this is an interesting early study into that with the recruiting failures that he's had in the month of June. And what does that look like if, if two years from now, how does he handle that? How does he roll with the punches? I don't know that an open letter is the best way to address it. I really don't. That's that, in my opinion, that's a misstep. It just is. Mm -hmm. And there are people who will defend that. And you, if you want to defend that, that's fine. We'll probably forget about it in two months or three months or whenever they actually release the, the first depth chart. And we'll just be talking about that. All right. I get it. But I still kind of wonder how much Florida can actually understand who it is and trust that identity and not have that angst because it's gonna be really hard not to have that angst when you continue to look over and see what Georgia has built and know that you're still a long ways from building that. Wait, you said the thing we disagree about is the open letter itself? I was gonna say, what was, what was I saying? The thing that we disagree with is, oh, oh, why, why like I'm a little bit more, Florida, Florida now having seen it play out the way that it has and understanding its failures. And now Billy Napier building up the support staff and understanding this is probably our best path, not necessarily getting the guy who can scheme all the time, right. not necessarily being sold that this is the Will Muschamp and, and winning games three to nothing is the best <laughs> philosophy for winning a football game in the 2010s era with the spread offense. Yeah. Being able to understand, oh, you actually do need to build up your facilities. Yep. Recruits, recruits, telling recruits about these national championships from the Tim Tebow era doesn't really do you a whole lot of good in the same sort of way. Yep. And Florida having that, that humbling realization to know this is why you failed. You've had this level of success, but here's why you haven't been able to sustain it and why these have been more of like kind of one-offs in certain ways. I think being able to kind of see that and have that staring right back at you kind of changes things. Yes. No, I mean, I, I agree with that. And, and I think that with Spurrier was such a perfect fit. It was like, oh, well, he played here and he's going to stay here for like a decently long amount of time. He just revolutionized offense. Like, I, I don't know. Obviously, he wasn't there for it, but it probably wasn't too hard to sell people on Spurrier. He was really an animated character. He was really likable. And then since then, like, you're, you're right. It's like Urban Meyer was there for six years. We talk about Muschamp, McElwain, Mullen. All M names, very funny. But they're very short tenures. You know what I'm saying? Very, like, similar. Like, when you kind of look at this, like, yeah, like, you got to, hate to say it again, you got to build a program. At the end of the day, the stuff with Kirby and knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door, getting through. Florida fans made fun of that. But that's what it takes, man. I mean, as much as, and, and all, you know, take the legal stuff and the character issues, all that. The less miles there at LSU, I feel like we underappreciate at the time. Because it was like, dude, pencil us in for nine or ten wins. Every single year, we're going to beat a ranked team or two. It's going to be good. There, that 
fault sliding backwards wasn't a thing for LSU because it was consistently, okay, boom, boom, boom. And that's why they were able to get so many in that series against Florida because Florida was going through kosher changings. They were going through all these up and downs, whereas LSU was just less miles, nine wins, 10 wins, da, da, da. And you talk to, you know, we talked to Emory when we were in Savannah about, he was like, oh yeah, there's like two Georgia teams that haven't won 10 games. And I was like, oh my gosh. And we went through, it was like this one and this one that, that he remembers, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, Florida needs to find consistency because they found elite football. That's the crazy thing. They might be the only program in America that has found elite football without finding consistency. And they've found that so many times. <laughs> like you can go through. It's weird. Yeah. Like even one of those uh, Muschamp teams was like awesome. Like the, I think it was the 2010 team, the one that they played um, Teddy Bridgewater and stuff. That was a good team. That was a solid, good, like top five, top 10 team, just depending on the week. And it's just like, yeah, like you guys need to be okay with like a top 20 finish, a top 15 finish, like what LSU did, 2018, flawed team, made a New Year's Six Bowl, beat UCF, hit the ground running. And they don't give guys chances because they had Spurrier, who was a match made in heaven, Urban Meyer, who was like, there'll never be another guy like him in the world. And now it's like, what's the barometer here? Like, what are we looking for? Yeah, I don't think giving up on Billy Napier is the move. Oh at no, this point. no, we're not giving there up. Are, on there are for sure, I don't, and I don't want that to be misconstrued because I know I joke about Florida yeah. a lot. I'm not giving up on him at all, and I would give him more time for sure because he's. I think he's approaching it the right way. If you come out guns blazing yeah. and you do the the joke we always joke about with Moorhead, like clear off your Heisman thing, it's like if you do that at Florida, they're going to believe you and they're going to tell that to other people, and you will make them look bad if you don't. So it's better to just be like, hey, what. Did you just slander Joe Moorhead <laughs> on these airwaves? Sorry. Sorry, but it's a good example. You know what I'm saying? It's, Damn, bleep that. It's, <laughs> it's a good example of just setting expectations high. And he had a good year, obviously, in Starkville, but, you know, off the field. So, so point being, it's better to set expectations low. Life is all about expectations. So we always say it's better to set them low and go above than set them high and go under because you're going to be someone who disappoints if you do that consistently. Speaking of expectations, what should we expect from five-star quarterbacks? Ooh. The question that... I think we're going to come to, to somewhat of an answer mm -hmm. today. We're going to have some fun with this. I want to do a little bit of cleanup on some of the Arch Manning stuff. I, and look, I, I know it's been a lot of Arch in everywhere you go <laughs> on a college football website. You're probably seeing something about that. But we're, we're going bigger picture today. If, if you want the instant reaction to his commitment, we did that emergency pod last week. Go back and listen to that. Only thing I wanted to add to that kind of on a micro level was there were some really bad Quinn Ewers takes. And I'm not gonna name names, you probably know who they are, um, but like bad takes from actual people in this business saying that he's definitely gonna transfer at some point, which is silly considering that even if you aren't high on him or if you're in more of like the wait and see mode, he's still gonna be in his pre-draft season when Arch gets on campus, he'll have a two year advantage on Arch, but I'll just go ahead and say that I don't think it's going to be a battle in 2023, right. okay? Ewers, Ewers can be a disappointing quarterback and still probably be the starter. And if you don't believe that, look at the situation with DJ Uyunglele and Kate Klubnik <laughs> at Clemson, all right? Yeah. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And I think some had this like weird vision in their minds, like Arch was going to be Justin Fields and Bolt after not being the guy as a true freshman, which is different because Jake Fromm was only one class ahead of Justin right. Fields compared to two for Ewers and Arch and all that. So I'll end that rant, but I was just very frustrated seeing some of the Quinn Ewers stuff. And I don't know how I became like a pro Quinn Ewers guy because I did not think I would. Not typically the type of DNA I usually go for and bang the <laughs> drum for, but... Here we are. I guess it's just swung so far in the opposite direction. Um, that's not what I wanted to dig into today. I wanted to look at what we should actually expect from five-star quarterbacks. And I'm gonna assume that Arch is going to be a five-star quarterback when he signs. The five-star quarterbacks who signed between 2014 and 2019, 10 of 14 transferred. 
only seven of 14 had been drafted at all. Only five of 14 were round one guys. I was like, all right, maybe that's a little bit too, too narrow of a sample. And I cut it off at 2019, by the way, because that's the last draft eligible class mm -hmm. in terms of these guys. So that's why I went with that. Um, but decided, okay, let's, let's bump it out to a decade. Let's see what we can do with that. So from 2010 to 2019, and again, cutting it off at 2019 because of the draft eligible thing, 14 of the 21 five-star quarterbacks transferred. That's two thirds, all right? Talking Gunnar Keel again, let's go. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to drop some Gunnar Keel stories maybe at the end here. Um, and remember, that's that's before all of the, the pre-grad or the pre-undergrad transfer rule changes happen pre-NIL. Mm -hmm. So that number is going to go up. OK, um, only 10 of 21 five star quarterbacks from 2010 to 2019 have been drafted to play quarterback. And I say that because there's the Braxton Miller caveat. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair to say that, oh, he was a drafted guy when he switched positions, obviously. Only six of the 21 five-star quarterbacks from that time frame have been round one guys. That's 29%. Two of 21 made a Pro Bowl. That's it. Kyler Murray, Jameis Winston. Two franchise quarterbacks, well. Same category. Everybody would put them in for sure. Zero of 21 of those five-star quarterbacks won a single NFL playoff game. Wow. And I think, and that, let me repeat that. Zero of the 21 five-star quarterbacks from 2010 to 2019 won an NFL playoff game. I think Kyler's going to get there. I think he's going to win a playoff game. But after last year, you're kind of like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Maybe he just won't. Maybe Tua. Maybe Trevor Lawrence eventually. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that any of those are imminent. Justin Fields, we can only hope and pray that he wins a playoff game. But... I'm not holding my breath on that as I wear a bear shirt. I'm, I'm not doing that. Matt Stafford like just won his. He's obviously outside of the window, but like it took him like 20 years. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up, Will. Mm -hmm. The last former five-star quarterback to win a playoff game, just in terms of recruiting class, you got to go all the way back to the class of 2007 when a certain Cameron Newton won a playoff game. Okay. Yep. He's the only five-star quarterback recruit from the last 15 signing classes who started and won an NFL playoff game. You could go back and find Stafford and Tebow, mm -hmm. 2006 class, okay? Mark Sanchez, 2005, friend of the show. That's the entire list. Mark Sanchez. The only- <laughs> Look at us, who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, he's a guy, we just, we text all the time now. Uh, no, not really, but maybe soon. I think our paths will cross again. We'll have him back on the show. The only five-star quarterbacks in the 21st century who started and won an NFL playoff game, just one, Oon, that's it, just who have done that once. Here's the entire list. Cam Newton, Matt Stafford, Tim Tebow, Mark Sanchez. Think about that. Whoa, now that's the whole, this lit. Okay, let me just come back around to Cam Newton. Matt Stafford was a great NFL quarterback. The Lions um, kind of failed him. Shout out to Michael Dark, uh, who rooted for him the entire way. Um, it's good that he got to get a Super Bowl rooting for him. Tim Tebow obviously had that insane mile-high playoff game, kind of a one-off. Mark Sanchez, pretty good quarterback. No one would tell you that he was the you know engine of those teams. Going to go back around to Cam Newton. Cam Newton was a guy, and I know he went number one overall, that got so much undue hate around the draft. It was him and, oh, is it going to be Jake Locker? Da -da -da, like all this different, like the going back and forth with those quarterbacks. And it was like, dude, 
He has been so good at every level, and the amount of hate that he received was so undue because he smiles. And it, it looking at this list here, and the fact that out of all these dozens and dozens of guys that we could have listed here, he's the one shining guy that's like, you were a five-star, you won a national championship, you won a Heisman, you were drafted, and led a team to a Super Bowl. Like, you couldn't, you could kind of amalgamate all these different guys to maybe get that list, but gosh, he was a heck of a football player. I wish people would properly rate him because it seems like people have been rooting for him to fail for so long and it just hasn't worked. Probably the way that things played out was stealing laptops and then the NCAA investigation. <laughs> come on, Connor. Probably come on, Connor. I'm talking about the Auburn Cam Newton, okay? He went to Blinn, okay. he figured out his mistakes. Auburn Cam Newton is how most of us know him. Perfectly fair, <laughs> perfectly fair. In terms of draft eligible five-star quarterbacks in the 21st century, so that's year 2000 to 2019, when these guys signed their, their college recruiting class, there have been a total of 64 quarterbacks rated as five stars, 2010 to 2019. It's interesting, there are 43 total five-star quarterbacks from 2000 to 2009, and then only 21 during the 2010s decade, like half as many, which is interesting. Wow, okay, um, well, you're putting the world on notice here. There might be a little bit of a conspiracy going on, that's all I'm saying. I think, well, I think just being a little bit more strict about yeah. that. I think that's kind of what, what talent evaluators started to do. Yeah. It, just, just based on that, because I think we would all agree that quarterback play has gotten better, but to be more strict on that, which I have no problem with. Yeah. So, okay, a little bit, we, we've got more numbers. Only 31 of the 64 five-star quarterbacks of 21st century have been drafted at all. Less than half, mm -hmm. okay? 13 of the 64 five-star quarterbacks went in round one. That's 20% of them, okay? It's actually kind of high. Mm -hmm. Four of 64 total five-star quarterbacks started and won an NFL playoff game. That's the stat we keep coming back to, 6%. Stafford, of course, just you know, joined that club this past year, mm -hmm. uh, year 13. He, Stafford actually just became the first of that group to win a Super Bowl. And at this time last year, of course, he had never even won a playoff game. Right. Only three of the 64 five-star quarterbacks in the 21st century checked all of these boxes. Stayed at the same college, so you're not transferring. Yep. Drafted in round one, win an NFL playoff game. That's it, okay? Wow. Three, that's, that's it. And Stafford was the only one of those three with a starting NFL job by age 28 because the other two were Tebow and Mark Sanchez, okay? So why do I bring all that up? If Arch fails to check a single one of those boxes, you know the B word is coming. Right. Bust, bust, not the other B word. Right. But wait a minute. <laughs> Suddenly different experience for Arch Manning. People are angry at him. <laughs> yeah, people really, you think they're angry at Cam Newton, wait till you see how they treat Arch, yeah. man. Goodness. Okay, so Peyton and Eli, they were before the recruiting rank, rankings era. We know that. Mm -hmm. They would have been five-star recruits. Oh yeah. I think we can say that, okay? And they would have checked all of those boxes. Again, sign as a five-star quarterback, same college the entire time, drafted in round one, win an NFL playoff game, have a starting job in your late 20s. That right there, I did that because that shows you just how much the Manning family is distorting reality and why it feels like Arch is going to be held to the highest standard ever, okay? 
I just gave you a list of one non-Manning quarterback who checked all of those boxes in the 21st century, and Matt Stafford didn't check all those boxes until year 13 in the NFL. Mm -hmm. All right. After getting the crap kicked out of him, let's not forget that. Yes. Like him walking right now is a minor scientific miracle. It is. All right. Guy spent over a decade playing for the loins. All right. That's tough. Yeah. That's real tough. Notice I didn't say a single thing about winning games, putting up gaudy numbers, winning a Heisman Trophy, winning a national championship. The first round stuff probably coincides with that a little bit. College performance, we, we think that. But those expectations are coming for Arch too. If Arch ends up being a Matthew Stafford, that would be a success in my book. Okay? Mm -hmm. Be that reliable guy who can make any throw. Be durable. Be a multi-year starter in college for a big-time program before going to the NFL. Settle in as one of the league's better quarterbacks, no matter what franchise you're playing for, because chances are it's probably going to get drafted by a crappy franchise. That's the way these things work. Oh, yeah. I think if you had told the masses when Arch committed on Thursday that the hope is that he's Matthew Stafford 2.0, they probably would have been like, that's it? What? We're not going to get an even better version of, of Peyton, but I just laid out how rare it is. I'm sorry. That's what people really expect, though. Like, you're not, that's not a joke. I know. I, know. I laid out how rare it is to see that linear rise that we assume is just this given with five star quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. We assume it's just there. And, and I found myself when we were doing the pod the other day. I kind of wanted to back off the Vince Young level expectations because I think they're gonna enter entirely different situations with entirely different surroundings, okay? I also think that the scrutiny will last much longer than Vince Young's did because we, we talk about Vince Young like unbelievable, like great college player, early NFL success, I never really worked out. I don't, maybe you use the word bust with him in the NFL, maybe you don't, whatever. I think his legacy is pretty much safe as one of the best college quarterbacks of the 21st century, no questions asked, right? Mm -hmm. But it's easy to forget that even someone like him was out of a starting job in the NFL by age 28. It doesn't help that Peyton, Eli, Archie, they are so much in the public eye mm -hmm. and they're going to be for decades they're going to be all over the sports media landscape. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to watch a college football Saturday and not see a Manning commercial at some point. That's that's not changing, and it's going to just kind of hover over Arch everywhere he goes. That's why this situation is truly one of one. There is nothing like it, and I I, I struggle to come up with those comps. I, I really do. I, I wanted to lay all this out because it's so tricky to set these expectations. People are going to want to be out on Arch because of the era that we live in, mm -hmm. it's a hater world. Oh, yeah. That's the society, that's Twitter, that's social media. And there are a ton of people who are gonna label him as overrated if he's anything short of Peyton. They're gonna keep moving those goalposts every single turn. And look, like, you could still ask some people what they think about Peyton and they'll say, man, one of the best, but he couldn't beat Florida. <laughs> that's funny. That's my favorite. My Peyton Manning joke is that he won the Saints a Super Bowl, but that's true. The Florida thing is like, okay, dude, this was 30. Come on, bro. Touch grass. Shout out to Tracy Porter, yeah, right? Tracy Porter. That I just I get happy I, when it, like no slander. I get happy because I think about that moment. But, but again, that's 10, 15 years after his college career. Like he didn't have to prove anything by beating Florida. You know what I'm saying? Yes, very true. Greatest moment in Indiana football history, by the way. That was. Um, but that's just what we do. You know, we're also quicker to rush to judgment with five-star quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. They often get thrown into the fire quicker, and maybe that's partially why that undrafted rate is. 
probably higher than people kind of realize. You sign a five-star quarterback and it's just kind of counting down the days until he transforms your program and becomes the savior. Georgia fans know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Arch is gonna get that same treatment at Texas. He's going to, he absolutely will. Do I expect anybody to have any sort of historical perspective about what it means to be a five-star quarterback and how that does not guarantee success at all? No, probably not, but but I can hope. Um, so, Will, did you hear any of that, or were you just kind of thinking about, like, Ryan Paraloo and Gunnar Keel? Ryan, come on, man. <laughs> See, it's funny, because I've been roasting you this whole podcast, and all you had to say was Ryan Paraloo, and you immediately even the score, and then stuff. gosh, that guy. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, no, um, I had a whole point, man. Okay, so, basically, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions off of this just real quick. So, um, number one, it seems pretty evident by this list that scouting is getting a little bit better, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush there because guys, you just never know how guys are going to act when they get into a situation in college. I think that variable is changing even more with NIL. Right. But I would be okay saying that there are, there are more resources allocated to being able to scout and not whiff on these guys. So, and where I'm going with that is like, so, you know, like Bama and A&M have broken all these recruiting records and they would say this is the best since like 2010 Florida. If you go back to the 2010 Florida class, there's like not a lot of dudes in there. There's like some pretty good college players. Not a lot of like, oh my gosh, I remember that guy. Like he's now an NFL, like Hall of Famer. Um, so point being, it feels like with this whole five-star thing, right? We've, we've, and you have like made me a disciple of having talent just wins. Um, it seems like number one, scouting is getting a little bit better. Seems like number two, a lot of that has to do with depth, right? Where it turns into, okay, you know, yes. your third and fourth stringers or second and third stringers are better than Iowa or like college X that doesn't have those guys. So I would say, you know, it seems like the hit rate on quarterback is way less. I don't think that's any, cause you know, if you get a five-star receiver, not as much running back, running back's a little bit of a weird position too, but if you get a five-star receiver or linebacker or something, you can feel like that guy will get drafted kind of just off of that. Honestly, there are lots of guys that are five-star linebackers that'll just get picked up. Um, you know, uh, the dude at uh, Michigan, that's not like a good player. What's his name? Um, you, we've talked. He was like the number one recruit that Harbaugh got. That was like a really big deal at the time. Rashawn Gary. Yes, Rashawn Gary was like a good college player. Like he wasn't like elite elite, but he got to the NFL. It's just like, oh well, this guy was a five star. Like he he he's pretty good in the NFL. He's he's been pretty good in the NFL. That's too, what I'm saying. No, he was great in the NFL, or he is great in the NFL. But people were like, oh, you were a five star in high school. You were solid in college. We're betting on that upside, and it paid off. And so that's kind of what I'm saying is in a roundabout way is that it seems like while recruiting is moving forward, and it seems like these these non quarterback guys are getting a little bit more like like it's more one-to-one -one. seems like quarterback is still pretty pretty hit or miss and a lot of it's the human relationships and you can't have just one quarterback but you're right you know when you go through this list it's like exactly what you just said you expect x y z alpha beta and you know a lot it, it kind of leaves you to being very disappointed so i'll say this like with, with arch really quick is just it's all live in the moment, you know? It's all not just assume this guy is gonna suck or any quarterback, you know what I'm saying? Be it whatever five star, just give them a minute because they're still kids. But at the end of the day, our default stance is, well, if you don't do these 15 things, you stink. And it's like, dude, like, just appreciate it. Just appreciate greatness. Just appreciate these kids that are just like you were when you were 18, but just good at football. That's kind of my only thing is like, hey, like you've seen the expectation now with your eyes on this Google doc is, not likely that they're going to win an NFL MVP and a playoff game and all that stuff. So don't hold that standard, you know? Well, um, I want a little peel behind the onion. Mm -hmm. oh this took me roughly five hours to put together. Um, <laughs> I just, I just kept wanting to go down rabbit holes of former five-star quarterbacks. And 
I did. <laughs> Let me ask you one real quick. Uh, since, since you did that, Andrew Luck, not a five-star? Not a five-star. Cool. Just making sure. He's the only guy that was like... Just, but he became like a can't-miss project in college, weirdly. Correct. Correct. You'd be surprised the amount of guys who, who kind of just missed that threshold. Mm -hmm. You would think Brady Quinn with that spiral. <laughs> definite five-star, right? Mm -hmm. Nope. Wasn't quite a five-star. Yeah. And, and we're going based on the, the final rankings, uh, 247 sports composite. Have I ever said why I say 247 instead of 24-7? Have I ever said that? No. It's because I've heard multiple writers who work for the site called, refer to themselves as 247 instead of 24-7. And if they wanted to be 24-7, they should have put a dash in there. Yes. I, just my I thoughts. I just need a Shannon B. Terry statement. Just please tell me what you name this company, dude. That's all I want. I mean, he's on three. He's on three I, now, I know, so but he, I just need his, he needs an open letter that says, here's how you pronounce the name of this company, and then you can go back to doing whatever. Yeah, I just, I, I, I've never addressed that on these airwaves, but for those who have ever listened to that and thought, 247, isn't it 24-7? Trust me, I've talked to a lot of people about that. And a straw, <laughs> a straw pole, think. A, pro, uh, a caucus of, of that. Yes, yes. I share it with Will every single time I hear somebody like who works for the company say 247 sports. Mm -hmm. I'm like, see, told you, I'm not crazy. Anyway, um, but yes, these notes took me a long time to put together and I may or may not have, but definitely did find this old Sports Illustrated story on Jeff Smoker. Oh, let's go. All time name. All-time quarterback name. Michigan State quarterback who was class of 2000? Mm -hmm. Yes, class of 2000. I'm not going to give you every detail, but the subhead of this story. Oh, buddy. Number nine is feeling fine. Jeff Smoker nearly threw it all away. Now the gifted Michigan State quarterback has the Spartans battling for the Big Ten championship. Can I read the lead? Yeah, Can please. I? Go for please? it. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right. On these cold autumn mornings, Jeff Smoker awakens before dawn and watches the sunrise, tracing the dead flat Michigan State campus with long slivers of morning light. Daybreak is nothing novel for the Spartan senior quarterback. Jeff used to come back home from nights out when it was getting light, says Mark Goble, his teammate and former roommate. Then he would sleep until it was almost dark again. Now, Smoker drinks a cup of coffee and embraces feeling so alive so early. It can be a beautiful thing the start of a new day, or the start of a new life. Oh my God. I wish I could overdose on that. That just sent me into a time <laughs> machine that was when I fell in love with sports. Thank you for that. I've been in these spots before, um, and I can look back on some of the things that I've written and say, man, I, I was, I, I overwrote that. I definitely did, but man, that was, sorry. I, I had to share that. I, I want to know how, the writer knows that he starts the day like that. Like, did he just sleep over at Jeff Smoker's house or something? I, some of this is just, unless he is literally walking through exactly what he's doing. I Anyway, I love, not trying to minimize. I love how his roommate was just like, this guy used to be a huge piece of crap, but now not so much. Not so much. He's great now. He drinks now. coffee now. Uh, this is fire. Yeah, look, we're not trying to minimize addiction. I know, yeah. Like that, that story but, is but, what we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes these narratives with five-star quarterbacks who you're just like, all right, we get it. We, we understand here. Anyway, after the story came out, um, A, Michigan State lost four of their last five games. Oh, yeah. B, Smoker threw nine interceptions and averaged six yards per attempt. C, he was drafted in the sixth round. D, he never played a snap in the NFL. E, all the above. Always all the above, Connor. C, it's always E. I hope Jeff Smoker's doing well. Doing well, I really do. I, 
I wish the best for him. Try to look him up on Twitter. Maybe slide into his DMs, see if you want to come on. I, I love having Slander him. Slander Jeff I love Smoker having him. on a random Monday or Tuesday. Just Did not mean to do that. I'm pro Jeff Smoker. Mm -hmm. You can't have a name that good and, and have a, a bad ending, okay? You just, you just can't. A lot of old clips of him throwing that touchdown pass to TJ Duckett, though. You want to go look oh, that yeah. up on Twitter. That's a good one. That's a good one. It was just a prayer. It just was. Okay, can we do one more? Can we do Please. one more? Garrett Gilbert. Oh, man. That's another wormhole. Yeah, I, I liked him a lot. Former Chad Morris product at Lake Travis. Yep. So <laughs> that lets you know. Um, Arch is actually Texas's first five-star quarterback since... Garrett Gilbert, 2009. Okay. I think I might have saw a couple places where they're saying, oh, you know, first five-star quarterback since Vince Young. It's like, ah, no, don't forget about Garrett Gilbert. Um, I remember 2019, Orlando Apollo's season open. I was about to say, Orlando Apollo's legend. Don't you forget it. Yes, he is. He played really well. Mm -hmm. And Spurrier was cooking. Like, Spurrier was in his bag. It was awesome. And Gilbert comes into the post-game media area. And I remember somebody brought up about how he was a former five-star quarterback and that the talent was there. <laughs> I just remember thinking like, buddy, that was 10 years ago. Peyton Manning though, he's doing the commercials now, but he never beat Florida, people forget. <laughs> oh my gosh. Some of the stuff I was just like, what, like, we just hold out so much hope for five-star quarterbacks. We like to throw them under the bus, but like even a guy who threw over 1,500 passes in college, we just, he got every opportunity to be a thing, okay? He did. Narratives, though. You texted They're me about Hackenberg the other day, and I was just like, you know, on the right team, I'm telling you. <laughs> this is a pro Christian Hackenberg. No, I ser now. seriously, no, that is pro. I was like, hey, I love like any any like five star guy that I saw like talk to. You felt like that's one thing is like a media guy that you've probably gotten better at than me is like I interviewed him way back in the day, like 2016, 17. After I've talked to you, you seem like a cool guy, and you're a five star. It's like I'm never gonna give up on you, bro. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> No, I, I would love to be able to replay Hack's career. I think that'd be a fun one. He's one of the very few that, that, didn't, that didn't transfer as a five-star quarterback during the 2010s. So shout out to him. Shout out to Josh Rosen. I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said for Gosh, it. Gosh, another guy. So, Sorry. <laughs> I did too. I, I definitely did too. Big time. Wasn't crazy about the hot tub move. I think he could have done without that. Don't think that helped him probably in the recovery department. They, they have those at UCLA, yeah. right? You, you, did, you didn't need that in your dorm room. Right. Okay. You just didn't. Yeah. But anyways, that's my way of advocating if you want to waste an entire afternoon once you're, you know, maybe done perusing SaturdayDownSouth.com for all of the great college sports content. Once you're done doing that, you want to go down a deep dive of former five-star quarterbacks, trust me, you will waste a day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's kick it to Mike Morgan. Fun conversation with somebody that's been a familiar play-by-play -play voice in the SEC for a long time. And note that we recorded this before... Uh, kind of all hell broke loose with Florida recruiting and the the Napier open letter, all those different things. So that's why you don't hear me ask him about that when we talk about Florida. But anyways, here is Mike Morgan. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is ESPN slash SEC Network announcer, Mike Morgan. Mike, uh, we're doing a little bit of a home and home. It's kind of how this works. I went on yeah. your podcast, JC and Morgan, which... Missed opportunity on your part not to have a Morgan and Morgan podcast. I think right. Bobby Wright would have probably gotten in the way of that. But yeah, Casey's, I'm not the lawyers. I, if you break your leg, Connor, I can't help you. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> JC Sherbert, great dude. Great dude. We oh, all we all man. like him. But yeah, I mean, 
recording with a guy named Morgan, you know, it was, just, it was just sitting guy or girl. It doesn't matter. Um, right. just Morgan, Morgan, it was sitting there. Um, but anyways, you guys had me referencing blue chips and I think I talked about Kanye pushing a RAV four. That's um, right. So, so the goal is to get to, to that level today with you. Okay. I think, I think we can do that. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Get get some references in there. I like it. Okay. So let's just start with the blue chips reference then tell me why blue chips is perhaps the most underrated sports movie the last 30 years. I, I think with what we're experiencing now with NIL, blue chips, the, the, the reality of the movie, like, and that's one, it's not always an appeal. Like some people just like fantasy in their sports movies. I'm the guy that goes, come on, that's not, that's not even ever going to happen. That's not close, close to realistic. And if you remember when that movie came out, uh, and I think I was like a freshman in college when that movie came out, so many people said, Oh, so over the top. That's not like, yeah, there's some cheating and recruiting, but it's not that bad. And you know, you know, there's not like all these cars and you're getting Penny Hardaway's mama house and allegedly, allegedly, right. Never was proven. Uh, and you had happy, which was like this incredible character played by JT Walsh. who was just the worst of worst booster stereotype. He might as well have been at at SMU in the 80s. Um, And you look at that movie today. If you watched it today, you're like, holy snap, this actually applies now more than ever. This movie now stands the test of time. So, look, it was never a top. It's not like Hoosiers or Bull Durham or, you know, if you go football movies, I would I would throw in a Friday Night Lights or something like that. But in terms of the timeliness of it now, I, I like everybody that follows college athletics should be it should be required reading as part of the course. You've got to go stream blue chips and watch it today. I want to see an NIL version of blue chips that <laughs> that movie. That movie's being made as we speak. I guarantee you there's collectives oh. that are being formed. An NIL blue chips would be yes. incredible. So here's what? what they here's what they could do. And I can close my eyes. I, I could picture this exact scenario. You could be the announcer for the games. I would totally take that gig. Totally well, take that gig. Money in the I, bank. You, where yeah. you know they have the ESPN cameras there. They'll get yeah, ESPN yeah. to sign off on it. And you're, it doesn't. You know, we can do basketball. I guess basketball, football, whatever. Sure. It doesn't really matter. Name Mike your Morgan. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah. I was, you know, I was almost in a movie. I was going to have a small announcing part. I don't know how these people got my name, but you know, I'm in Atlanta, and they film a lot of uh, films in Atlanta, and it was a movie. I believe it was about an autistic child participating in, in high school football. Anyway, I get a phone call from a casting agent says, would you like to work with Doug Flutie? You guys would be the announcers for this film involving, uh, you know, high school games surrounding the main Whoa. character. I was like, yes. So I'm all excited. They send me my lines. Uh, you know, these pretzels are making me thirsty. It was not very complex <laughs> stuff. I had like, like five or six, seven lines. And within weeks, COVID hit. And so we were going to film it. it, it, They were going to film it. I was going to be in uh, probably a one day shoot in the summertime. uh, Cause I was in the middle when I was approached in the middle of either college football, college basketball. And I was like, okay, I got something to do in July when I usually don't have much to do, um, you know, other than kind of recharge the batteries and COVID hit and the movie got wiped out and never saw the light of day. So I'm still looking for my first IMDb credit, Connor. And if I could have any part in uh, the reboot, the redux of Blue Chips, the NIL version. Now, JT Walsh, who played Happy, he's no longer with us. May he rest in peace. 
Nolte could certainly still do his role. Uh, most of the, you know, we could bring Shaq back, Penny. I know Matt Nover's not doing anything. Uh, for those that don't remember, he was the white guy who played at, at Indiana in actual college basketball. Uh, yeah, I mean, all that could, could be done, and I think it could be a very timely hit at this point in time. I just saw what Adam Sandler did with Hustle, and I'm thinking to myself, you, you can get current that. guys. You can get current guys to do that. You can make it an NIL deal. You yeah. can sign up, and that would be the irony, is that guys making a movie about NIL would be able to make NIL money off of right. this, and it would work. And you wouldn't have sure. to have draft-eligible guys. You could do current no. college players. I would see no. that movie in a heartbeat. Yeah, and you know what the question would be for me? So, like, I just saw that. It's funny you mentioned it uh, two nights ago. So, Anthony Edwards, who's kind of the – is great in it. Is fantastic in it. And which is weird because I did a number of his games and and chatted with him a few times. And I, if you would have told me that Anthony Edwards was going to be the, one of the stars of a, uh, an Adam Sandler movie, I would have been like, come on. You know, he was just kind of reserved. He didn't, he didn't talk a whole lot. He just, he was there. He was there for, for the purpose of this is my way station. I'm going to do what I can for Georgia basketball. And then, Tom Crean held him back. Yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, right. And then I'm going to be in the NBA, and I'll be the number one, number two pick. He happened to be number one, and the and the rest is history. But in the movie now, his name is not Anthony Edwards. Right. It's it's something. So is that true? Nil? Do you have? Would you have hmm. to use your real name or a character? Would a character name nullify nil? Because you're not really cashing in on your name and your true name image and likeness that's a great question because if the you're attorney. if you're still getting credited for it you're still right. making money in that way right. so i would think you're still using it now yeah. i i don't know how how integral to the storyline that would have to be but right. I, I think there's there there's an idea there so we gave we gave somebody somebody listening to this enough pieces to be able to to work with and if there's one more thing that i could say and this is an annoyance of mine. I can't imagine what it's like for you when you watch some of these movies. I'm not saying hustle, but just kind of the cheesy sports movie in general. Right, right. When you watch a sports movie and they have a PA announcer doing play-by-play. Yes. Oh, it is the most nails on a chalkboard thing I have ever heard. Like all you need to do is have a play-by-play announcer like yourself right. who does you know, TV or radio, whatever it is just call the game and treat it like you're listening to it on radio or on TV. And instead they have it broadcast to the entire stadium. I'm like, what game have you ever gone to in which this has been normal? This is so true. And it is a pet peeve of mine. This is going to sound so petty as someone who's donated a a, a lot of time and effort into the, the craft of play by play, but just to assume with all due respect to PEA, PA announcers across the land, different jobs, and I know some of them and they're great folks and, and, and do a great job. And somebody needs to do that. It helps the experience of being in the stands. But to assume that he could just take that microphone when he's done saying, now we have a lost child over here in the North End zone. Could you please come over. <laughs> and but in, in, while, you know, weaving that in and out, uh, it's third down and five slot formation left. And here come the Tigers down the field uh, inside plus territory at the 35. Like, no, that's not what PA announcers do at all. That's like, I mean, like, that's like a PA announcer. Maybe like he's like, you know, one day I'm going to get my shot and they're going to let me use this microphone for being a PA announcer and a play by play announcer at the same time. Like, yeah, but every movie, you're right, because they don't want to confuse the listener how baffling it would be. To people for people to watch one guy with a microphone that's a PA and another guy who's an actual uh, broadcasting booth. Now on Friday Night Lights, they did it right. 
Yes. Like those two guys, and I don't know who they are. They, they seem like legitimate high school football Texas announcers. Like mm-hmm. they have that vibe about them. They, there was no PA. Like that was a true broadcasting crew. So if you're making a sports movie, if you want to be real about it, make sure you actually have announcers doing announcing and not just a PA guy doubling up as the announcing crew. And Friday Night Lights, the show, which we're currently rewatching right now. So I'm like very, very all in once again. Uh, I, I watched like nine years ago. So it's a great time to rewatch it. You've forgotten just enough. But I, I'm pretty sure they also have an authentic Texas high school announcer on the call and it's radio and he's yeah. not broadcasting to the entire stadium. It's just radio. And you're listening to right. it and you're like, okay, I feel like I'm listening to this game in my car somewhere on radio as smash is running up the middle or Saracen is somehow avoiding an interception or something like that. But yeah. Uh, pet peeve. I don't think I've ever brought that up on air before, but <laughs> I've no one's ever brought it to my attention. Cause I don't think, <laughs> I don't know if your average person either knows or cares, but yeah, right. I pick up on that too. Obviously. And I'm just saying to myself, do they really think that's how it works? Or are they worried people would be confused yeah. that the PA and the announcers don't do the same thing really at all? I, I've never understood the, the dynamic of that. But I'll tell you this, you know, high school football for guys like me, because I often get asked when I speak to broadcasting students, like, how'd you get started? High school football was the inroads for me. Oh, yeah. You know, doing high school football games on radio and even cable access TV. Guys, I hope they burn those tapes. Uh, to be able to, to, to get your break into that. Because baseball, the path is always the same. And I did some minor league baseball as well. But every kid that goes to broadcasting school starts sending out their tapes or reels or now links to every minor league team. It could be an independent ball team across the country. And you try to get that first gig and then you go from there. But for football, there, there is no minor league football. So And, and you're not going to just get hired to a major university uh, without any experience. So how do you get that experience? For so many of us, it's work in high school football. So when I watch movies like that and I see two guys, you know, they're, they're, they're grinding, man. They're, it, it is their world. They're not making a ton of money and they don't have the audience of a major university or a pro game, what have you. But for them, it's everything. They live and die by those broadcasts. And I, I can totally respect that. I don't think there is a Will Levis biopic yet um, <laughs> TBD on that uh, after the uh-huh. way that his summer is gone, but yeah. man, it, it feels like he's been everywhere. And um, Kentucky is really taking a lot of pride in the way that they're marketing him. And mm-hmm. you were at, you were on the call for the spring game before all of these way too early mocks came out where he's the top 10 pick. Uh, you told me that you wouldn't be surprised if he was the number one overall pick. Explain why um, maybe what you saw there kind of told you that he's worthy of that kind of hype. I think he's a guy that could certainly be, if not the number one quarterback taken. And I don't know, you know, the number one pick is always, again, what does a team need at that spot? Like this past year, what we saw a lot of teams that needed a quarterback didn't take a quarterback because we didn't have enough good ones for the, that were worthy of top 10. This year could be different. This year could be, it seems like it's good, the quarterback crop is going to be much better but the team at number one might not need a quarterback. So maybe they don't take, uh, whether it's Will Levis or Bryce Young or whoever else uh, the case may be, Stroud of Ohio State is certainly going to be in the conversation. Um, but I think just and – and I've talked to uh, a few scouts about this because you just run into them, and I, I happen to know one in particular has been doing it a long time. I just think what they look for now in the modern-day quarterback with the size and athleticism, and you can't have both, he has both. Um, and he has an arm 
that's NFL ready. And when you sit down and you talk to him as we did for about a half hour before the game, you realize, wow, this is like, this isn't some college kid that's just still maturing. Like he's already got an NFL kind of mindset about him. When you talk to him, you feel like you're talking to an adult or more importantly, the way they look at it at the next level, you feel like you're talking to the CEO of franchise X because that's what they want NFL quarterbacks to do. They don't need knuckleheads. They have no time for knuckleheads. You want a knucklehead that's a great athlete, you draft him at cornerback. You draft him at defensive tackle. You don't draft your quarterback who's a knucklehead um, or who can't lead and can't do certain things right. And I can give you names of guys that I've covered that are sensational athletes at quarterback, but the knucklehead factor has held them back. Don't need to name them, but you could probably gather who a couple of them might be. This guy is the opposite. This is exactly what you're looking at, but he's not just an intangible guy. Like he's got a howitzer of an arm. He uh, he is a very gifted runner and tough runner. Like a lot of a lot of gifted runners in college are guys that when you look at them and project them at the next level, you know they're going to get beat up to the point where it's like, come year four or five, I don't think he's going to be able to do that anymore. Or he could get hurt in years one, two, and three. And, and prevent his progression to becoming an NFL quarterback. With that frame, when you stand next to Will Levis, you're like, yeah, he can take the beating. Yeah. Uh, so he can run, and you're not going to worry about him breaking down. So all the things are there. My only concern, and when I've, when I've kind of uh, showered praise on Will Levis, I always want to throw in this caveat that, look, he's not going to have eye-popping numbers in that offense. Uh, they don't have, if you look at Kentucky's success under Mark Stoops over the last, I don't know, five years, they're doing it. Like they're winning eight, nine, 10 games a year with lower third wide receiving talent. They don't get the four or five star kids going to Lexington at that position. They always have a good offensive line. They always have reliable running backs going to need Rodriguez. Otherwise that could be a concern. Uh, but what, what they, what they lack Compared to the elites in the league, they don't have the the tall, just game-breaking wide receivers that the NFL looks at and says, yeah, that's a first-rounder. They haven't had that. Now, Wondell Robinson is the one guy they had who was a playmaker. And again, he had to transfer back to his home state from Nebraska to get him for that one year. What did he do? He caught 104 passes from Will Levis. But even he's not a guy that you threw the ball 50-50. He's an undersized uh, wide out almost reminds me a, a little bit of a Debo Samuel type who started South Carolina now at the 49ers. So he, no matter how much I praise Will Levis now, it's not going to show up on the stat sheet because they don't have a ton of talent at that position. But I do think the NFL scouts, they look at it uh, and they see the materials that he brings to the table. And yeah, I think he's got the potential to be a first rounder. And I, got, I think he's even got the potential to be the first quarterback off the board. It's funny because I went into this offseason thinking I'm going to have to bang the drum for Will Levis because I like him and I like mm-hmm. all those tools that you brought up. And then I saw these way too early mocks and I thought, whoa, let's pump the brakes yeah. on some of this stuff. Because right. for me, the biggest thing isn't the what's between the ears. It isn't the toughness. It isn't the running ability. It's it's not even the arm strength. That's that's all there. It's, it's being able to connect on those passes downfield. And that's mm-hmm. still, sure. to me, a question that mm-hmm. you have to be able to answer if you're going to play at the next level. It doesn't do you any good if you can throw it downfield and not to anybody in particular, if it's not even close. That has to cut down. I don't even worry as much about the turnovers because I think there is a little bit of that 
regression, more depth at the position should be able to kind of help him there, which Kentucky feels like it has. But do you, what do you think the biggest key for him is in, in showing this year besides just he's the guy? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's one thing to kind of be that guy. But if we're still talking about him this way, let's say nine months from now, what will Will Lovis have done? What will he have added to, to his game? Well, I think you hit on it. Look, accuracy is still like it, it's still the number one trait that they want at the next level. They'll take the guy who throws it five yards less down the field. They'll take the guy that uh, is an inch shorter or a tenth of a second slower on his 40 time, but he is pinpoint. And that's why Tua went as highly as he did. And, you know, look, I'm not giving up on Tua just yet. Nor am I. Well, you will see, I, I think a lot of the criticism that's come his way, he's had to work through a mess down there. Um, uh, so let, let's, let's pump the brakes on the two as a bus deal. I think it's way too early to say something like that. But that's why Tua went so high. That's why Joe Burrow went so high. But in fairness to Will Levis, again, watch, watch like Alabama wide receivers running open Watch LSU during that title team where Burrow had what, like 60 touchdown passes or whatever. And, and watch like Clemson in the heyday of Dabo and, and first rounder on the left, first rounder on the right. Hmm, I'm Trevor Lawrence. Which one am I going to go to here? It, they are separating like five yards. So the, the throws that they're getting in college are throws that, A, you're not going to get in the NFL. And B, Will Levis, he doesn't know that reality because he hasn't had it at Kentucky. They haven't had those type of wide receivers. So you're right. He was not the most accurate on deep downfield throws. That's something he has to improve on. There's no doubt about it. I think he will, but he doesn't have guys running wide open the way those other programs do. And we've seen a paradigm shift in college football championship teams where it used to be so much more about having that first round running back, right? And that workhorse bell cow guy that ran for nearly 2,000 yards. Of course, if you're Alabama, you got the best of all worlds. But, but now, if you track the last however many national championship teams, find me one that doesn't have first-round talent at wide receiver. Because they all do. That, that said, is, it's, it's very obvious. I can't remember what it was. It was like the last – I'm blanking on what it was. I had that stat before the national championship because Georgia, I'm pretty sure – just became like the first team to win a national championship in the playoff era without a receiver in the first round. I, I like, I could be wrong yeah. on that, but a wide receiver. So th- right. that, that excludes and tight ends, but it, it's, yeah, it's yeah, such course, a prerequisite. Right. As good as Bowers is. I mean, he, he's almost like a wide receiver in a tight ends body. That's an unstoppable force. And one of the, the, the biggest weapons that we'll look forward to in college football this year. And, and Georgia, Georgia, Again, a generational defense that set all kinds of records with first round picks and, and so on and so forth. And and then they had Stetson Bennett, who looks more like an accountant, and but he's better than you think he is, even though he's not necessarily an NFL guy. And so they did things, they they skinned the cat a little bit different way, but I don't think we're gonna see many more of those. And of course, they they had guys like Pickens that were supposed to be that level talent and different things like injuries and everything else. Uh, kind of retarded their their progress and, and growth at the position, but uh, I think overall we are. Everybody knows quarterback's the most uh, important position at any level of football, but wide receiver has quickly become number two. Yeah, and the, the the teams that are having the most success 
at the college football level. The ones that are perennially in the playoffs or playing for the playoffs are typically ones that have those kind of dynamic weapons at the wideout position. I want to talk to two different people here. Um, I might not be able to, but we'll see if we can do this. All right. The, Am I going the first, into character? <laughs> yes. The first person is Mike Morgan, the uh, unbiased journalist, totally impartial. Okay. The second person is Mike Morgan, the Florida graduate, who would probably prefer if Billy Napier could become the first coach in Steve Spurrier to last more than six years <laughs> in Florida. I, I don't know. Just, <laughs> yeah. just guessing. How right. does the first person, the unbiased Hmm. journalists and don't tweet at Mike during the middle of a game or something like that. Being like, Oh, you're probably just rooting for Florida. Don't do that. But how does that first person, the unbiased person feel about Billy Napier and how does the second person feel, feel about Billy Napier? Yeah. I, the, for me, like I, I, the first person is the person that I, that's the world I live in. Right. Because that's, that's all I've done now for however many years. In fact, the only game, the only school that I've actually broadcasting games for happens to be a, a, another SEC school in, in Columbia. And, and, and for years and years, I really wanted to see them elevate themselves. I, I love that fan base and I love everything about uh, particularly the, the, ironically enough, the Spurrier years at South Carolina, um, what, what they were able to do there. I thought that fan base deserved to have success in some sports and football and baseball. Well, I think the Florida fan base now deserves to have, I'm not saying title town of like 2000, where you win two football titles, and two baseball titles, excuse me, basketball titles in like a, in like a three-year span, but they deserve a little something more than what they've gotten. It's been a tough stretch. And I, I've said this before, uh, college football is better. For example, like I, I'm an SEC guy. Everybody knows that, right? But I don't pull against other conferences or other programs. So I think college football is better if Southern Cal is relevant. I want to see that. I think college football is better when Jim Harbaugh actually beats Ohio State one time to put Michigan on the map. Well, in the same vein, I think college football is better when Florida is good. I, I think the Western Division has had an unprecedented, unprecedented amount of success where they have looked like the varsity and the Eastern division looks like the JV. And I realize this might be an antiquated reference in a few years if we get rid of divisions, right? But, but in the world we've lived in since 1992, when I first started covering the SEC, it was the opposite. It was Florida, Georgia, Tennessee in the East, and the West would just have to figure it out. And it really didn't matter anyway, because more often than not, that, that Florida or Tennessee team, that Spurrier or Fulmer team, uh, was going to whoop up on the, the Western division team more times than not. Obviously, there's some exceptions. So, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think the number one, Mike, that you're talking about absolutely wants to see uh, Florida relevant again. And when I say relevant, that's a subjective term, but the, the Florida that's actually competing in the East. What we've had lately is Georgia and everybody else. And quite frankly, this year, it, it's going to be hard for anybody to supplant Georgia in the top spot. What Florida, Tennessee, and other programs alike have to do is start worrying about getting up to where Georgia is. Don't wait for Georgia to go down because Georgia's not going down anytime soon. More to the point of your question about Napier specifically, I think it was the right hire. Um, I, I, I've watched Billy Napier from afar. I've seen him rumored for other jobs. I've kind of tracked his progress a little bit, and I've talked to other people about him. And what you get with Billy Napier, and perhaps what has been lacking in Gainesville for a while, is a guy with incredible structure, an incredible uh, big picture game plan 
of what this needs to look like for it to truly be successful again. And it's not just calling ball plays, because if it was that, Dan Mullen would still be doing uh, great things in Gainesville. And it's not just having high recruiting classes, because other coaches that failed at Florida still were able to get fairly good recruiting classes. It's all the little things and all the things in between that when you look at the way Nick Saban runs Alabama and when you look at the way Kirby Smart runs Georgia, those two guys, they are, I'm going to use that term again, they are the CEOs of those programs. And I mean, everything is so structured and orderly. And it's like a machine where they don't have a major step back. Florida looked like it was headed that way with Urban. And then again, Urban's one of the most unpredictable coaches we've ever covered. Uh, now that people in Jacksonville can speak to that. And I don't think they ever recovered from that. I mean, it looked like Urban was going to be the next Steve Spurrier and going to be there for a longer period of time. Uh, continue to just rack up SEC championships and perhaps national championships. And then all of a sudden, it just like a cloud of smoke came out of nowhere and he was gone. And I don't think Florida was, was ready for that. And it didn't work with Will Muschamp and it didn't work certainly with Jim McElwain. And, you know, I thought Dan Mullen at the time, I would have hired Dan Mullen. But Dan Mullen five years ago was probably perfect for a job like that. But as you and I have already talked about with NIL, and now the transfer portal, guys that are just really good at calling ball plays, you're not going to survive. It's, uh, you're just not. It's about player acquisition and player retention as much as anything else. You could be the smartest guy in the room. And if you don't have those two things going for you, good luck winning SEC championships. Good luck even winning divisional championships. So Billy Napier checks all those boxes. You look at what he did at Louisiana, that speaks for itself. But I think the DNA of the way he wants to run a program is what Florida desperately needed. Person number two is fired up. That's essentially <laughs> what I got from that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, it, it, number two doesn't really come into play. I know that just sounds like it's been so far removed. Uh, it, it, it'd be one thing if I was like the announcer for Florida, and I've been in that role before. And when you're actually the announcer for a school, it takes over, man. Like the, the passion and the connection with that and, and everything else, that is, that's a whole other deal. Now it's like when they lose, you don't, you don't feel it. It's, it's just not the same deal. But there's no question. I mean, even as just like I said, as a college football fan, I, I want to see those programs. When I say relevant, I want to see them doing well. I want to see them to really be in the conversation. We've gotten into a point in college football where it is painfully predictable. I mean, just painfully predictable. And I don't see how that's good for the sport. When we, we're talking about the same five, six teams every single year, and everybody else is playing for a tier two bowl game. Like that's just, that's not where we want to be. It's not where we are in basketball. It's not where we are in baseball. It is the reality right now in college football. Okay. It is painfully predictable, but I'm going to give you a stat and you can throw this out on your broadcast. Just, you know, give me a little bit of credit. The fact that we have only seen one preseason number one win a national championship in the last yeah. 17 years. Think about that. Yeah. Think about you that. Know, I know. That is a stunner. Like that would, if you want to trip somebody up, do people go to water coolers anymore? I don't know. No. Uh, yeah, probably not. Mm -hmm. uh, so we got to find up, a, we got to find a new reference. There's two things we have to replace. Number one, the water cooler reference. That's just slack. That's all it is now. Yeah. Nobody goes to a water cooler anymore. Uh, heck, some people don't even go to an office anymore. And number two is 
and I've heard this in regards to my uh, recent nuptials, you've outkicked your coverage. Like, I get it. I, I get the joke, but let's come up with a new and fresher term. Like that's been used for like 30 years. It's, it's no longer that funny. Let's come up with a new term I, in a different sport. I don't know something. Uh, but, but that is the kind of fact that used to be a water cooler fact of the day. Now it's something else that would surprise a lot of people. The reason my only theory on why that is, is because whenever we're predicting the number one team for a t- typical year, we're using last year's data and we're just, it's just so easy to, you know, plug and play. Right. You know, yeah, I'm not saying it's wrong. Yeah. And, and, and let's, let's face it. If we go back and we look at the 16 out of 17, where it was wrong, it wasn't that wrong. Usually it's not like preseason number ones are finishing 23rd or unranked unless there's like all kinds of just issues and injuries or whatever else. Usually if they don't finish number one, they're still either in the playoff or pretty darn close. So like it's, if you're just, if you're looking at it from a gambler's standpoint, the way they size things up, they're all about science and practicality and they don't bring any emotion to the table. And they just say, look, this is, this is the best bet. My chances of losing this badly are not nearly as much as if I try to be, you know, the creative one that, comes up with, uh, hey, I'll t- I tell you what, I think Arkansas is winning the national championship this year. Well, look, Sam Pittman's a great story. Uh, and they might continue to overachieve, but they play in the toughest division in college football. And do you really believe they're going to win the national championship? Or are you just looking to make headlines? Is that just clickbait, as uh, folks in your profession would use, right? Or, or say, that, that's, I don't know if you even believe that. Like, we're going to have SEC media days in a month. And I've filled out those ballots before and I do my best and who knows what my winning percentage is on that. But there's always that writer or media type who figures I'm going to be the guy that gives a team that everybody thinks is going to finish fifth place in the division. I'm going to give them my first place vote. And then inevitably, yeah, right. And inevitably, like he makes a name for himself by doing that. Well, what have you really accomplished? Like you're not that's not you don't have any money on it. You don't have any skin in the game. You're just, you're just getting, you're just being a contrarian and you're getting a little, your 15 minutes by, by going off the wall with a crazy prediction. But that's to you me, there's really not much of a skill in that. But here's the, here's the upside for you, wherever you go for, you know, week one, week two, when it's early in the season, maybe, maybe it's a cupcake or something like that. They're, they're just trying to cover you and make sure that you could say, Hey, <laughs> Let's, let's not sleep on the fact that Mississippi State got a first place vote. All right. right. And then you bring that up and then it adds to the broadcast. And then oh, boom, yeah. that's topic of conversation right there. So it just it gave themselves content, but it also gave you on air content as well. It it can. I mean, I I, I typically gloss over the outliers like, you know, it, it, <laughs> the person that's picking something. There, there was an example of that I had. Oh, gosh, I wish I could think of it. I, you know, I just wrapped up another baseball season, so I've got numbers in my head for three different sports just swimming in there. But there, there was an example of something like that where it was just this crazy prediction, and it did come into play. So whoever made it, they got to national television coverage because we started talking about it because it, it was actually an interesting take, and it turned out to be maybe not 100% accurate, but – he was on to something that nobody else had. So, yeah, if you're that guy that just wants to be the different person in the crowd and get some, sometimes it pays off. The rest of the time, eh, you just kind of ignore it. Yeah. I, hey, nothing wrong with that at all. I want, I'm, I'm going to do some rapid fire in a second. Vanderbilt's here. winning the SEC in 2022. I'm calling my shot right now. 
haven't won an SEC game this decade, but you know what? It's going to happen, and it, when it rains, it pours. All right, that's, that's right. all we need. To, that's all we need to know. Yeah. Um, production meeting story with either Urban or Spurrier. Have you experienced one that stands out? You know, I I don't think I ever had Urban, um, but I had Steve. I had Steve multiple times, and um, even hosted a coach's show with Steve back when he was at uh, South Carolina once. Um, Steve is just remarkable. I mean, he, you, it's like, I've made the analogy. It's like when you start talking football with Steve Spurrier, it's like talking math with rain man. Like he just, his mind enters a different stratosphere and you're like, Oh my goodness. He's about to just start spinning out names and specific plays and specific games, uh, from a period of about 1960, Till the present day, it just it'll blow your mind. Like you, you'll think you know the history of college football, and then you'll start talking to Steve Spear, and it's like whoa. So the Steve that people know publicly, and I say this about Nick Saban because I've actually done a couple of Saban games about nine ten years ago. Now, of course, they're on CBS almost every week. Um, but I, I, they're not what you see during a general press conference. So Steve comes across as you know, um, a little quirky and always giving you the, the, the zingers and the, you know, kind of the, the, something that the, the press can, can uh, really latch onto. But in a one-on-one, he's, he's not like that. He's not, he's, he's very kind. Uh, I don't want to say he's, he's humble. He's always got that swag, but, but he, he's not making like controversial jabs at other coaches and doing all that stuff. He just loves talking ball and the way he can recite it chapter and verse, like anything you throw at the man, it's no wonder why he was such a savant at calling plays, you know? So a guy like that stands out to me in meetings, um, Dick Saban for different reasons. Like, again, he's the guy that so so many people are like, Oh gosh, were you intimidated? Was he, was he mean to you? Like he's mean. No, he couldn't have been nicer. He was fantastic. He was down to earth. He cracked a couple jokes, uh, I thought Nick Saban was refreshing in a, in a lot of ways. And he'll tell you exactly how he feels about anything. He's no holes barred. And I found him likable. So often, the guys that you think are the most folksy during their press conferences with, in front of you know, hundreds of people in a media room, which now they're you know, either televised nationally or they're on uh, the internet streaming so anybody can see those. Some of those guys are not the, the, the best guys to work with or the most interesting. They just turn it on for that once a week that they have to do their, their conference call. Uh, so it, it's, it, you never know what you're going to have. I'll tell you the most difficult thing to do is when you're, when you're having those meetings, Connor, and you've got a coach who you know is on his last leg. Like I remember doing an Arkansas game with Brett Bielema. Uh-huh. And it was, it was just clear like that year. Like it wasn't gonna, and this was a game in like mid-November. And you just know he's not going to be making it. But we still have to go there and ask questions. And we're not there to ask questions like, what's it, what's it like to be on the hot seat? We have to ask questions game specific. So we're talking about X's and O's. We're talking about players. And, this and, that. and we know he's not going to last. He knows he's not going to last. But we all have to turn that off and just focus on game material. Yeah. And I've been in that situation a number of times. Football, basketball, baseball, where you're, you've got dead man walking and you still have to do, you know, your, 
your meeting and your and your your sit down and, and chatting about every specific element of a game, the way we break it down on a, on a on a nationally televised game, those are the most difficult that I find. Chris Doring has told me the story about the first time he ever met Chiswick and it was in Chiswick's last season. Yeah. And it, like very, it was like a, I can't even remember who they were playing, but he, he was like the, the guy that Chiswick was that day in that production meeting is so like, it's, it's a different human being than who he is now. And Doring and Chiswick are, are really tight, obviously working right. on the CC network as long as they did. But yeah, you definitely cannot judge a coach based on what he looks like in those final moments. No. As you know, he's about to get fired. That's just, not and fair. you know, and Chiswick and, and I remember I was in Charlotte, on, uh, I think I was on my way to do a, a game in Chapel Hill, and I stopped in Charlotte, and the, uh, the hotel I was at, it's the same one Doring and Chiswick at right after they did their show. Yep. And we sat down, and we just talked ball for like three hours. We shut down the hotel bar and lobby, and before they finally were probably looking at us like, are you guys ever going to leave this lobby? They're the best. Um, and yeah, they're, they're fantastic. And, but my point of that was, it was the first time I'd ever actually sat down because I never worked with Gene Chiswick like Chris did for those years. And, and they did marvelous uh, TV together. Um, but it, when you sit down and you like listen, and he, I thought he was great on TV too. But it's so funny because when you're a coach that gets fired, you know, I was like, oh, he's an idiot and he, you know, he doesn't really know what he's doing. And then you sit down, you talk to a Gene Chiswick, you're like, damn, this guy certainly knows what he's doing. And you could see why he won a national title. It wasn't all Cam Newton. He had something to do with it. You could see why he was a great, successful coordinator for so many years. And you could see why now he's got another job. So you, you, you see those two different sides. It's so easy to just come up with an assumption of somebody that you're like, uh, oh, yeah, he's losing. He's an idiot. He's a moron. He's in over his head. Then you actually sit and you talk to him like, no, he's none of those things. He's yeah. actually really smart and, and savvy and knows what the hell he's doing. I would say one other one last year, this was a little bit awkward, but it was also the funniest uh, one-hour conference I ever had. I had an LSU game in, I don't know when it was, October. And at that point, you just kind of knew. And Ed Orgeron, he was very funny about it. He knew that, look, I'm, I'm, this is probably my last leg. And I mean, he knew to the penny how much he was going to get paid if they did fire him. And he knew that life was going to be okay if, if he. So I laughed my rear end off. We all did for an hour. Just he That's was incredible. so stinking funny. And I'm like, should I feel guilty about laughing because this guy is likely going to be fired in the future? Don't feel guilty. He's getting no. paid well to, to he make got him paid not well. Guilty. Yeah, he's always going to have that national championship ring. And, and trust me, life is life is really good if you're Ed Orgeron. We we should all be uh, that lucky to have to have what he has. But it was just awkward because when you walk into a scenario like that, you're thinking, oh, boy, the coach is not going to have any sense of humor. He's not really going to want to do it. He's going to want to get it over as, as soon as possible. It's going to be going to be short with you. And Ed was none of those things. And so we are just doubled over laughing at so many funny things he said, entertained, and he was loving it too. Like he didn't want us to leave. So sometimes you just never know when you walk into that coach's room on a Friday before game day, you don't know what's going to be on the other side. Sometimes it's a great surprise. And sometimes you're like, well, we got nothing out of that. He clearly <laughs> didn't want us there. And that was a waste of time, but you got to do it. I mean, we give everybody uh, the same amount of exposure. As you know, it's, it's a down the middle broadcast. And we try to, that the whole point of that meeting is that we don't get a thrill out of meeting coaches and, yeah, we we try to get something to the people tuning in that they're not going to get anywhere else, that they're not going to get on the Internet or 
uh, a newspaper, whatever else you're, you're reading, talk shows throughout the week. And very often we're able to get that kind of access and, and little factoids that we can sprinkle in here and there. But if a coach doesn't want to play ball, nothing you can do about it. You're just going to walk out of there not being much wiser than when you walked in. Let's do some rapid fire. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Best meal you've had on an SEC campus was what? Oh, gosh. So many good ones. Um are we calling Nashville an SEC campus? Sure, it counts. Technically. You know, I was so I'll tell you a quick story. I was uh, I mean, I've I've been to Nashville a bunch of do Vanderbilt football games, but I was there to do the SEC basketball tournament. In fact, I had the game. I was supposed to do two games with Jimmy Dykes, and an hour before the first one, which was Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, I can't remember, it was a doubleheader, uh, COVID pulled the plug. Ah, yes. And we had, but we knew we were going to do it in an empty arena. And Marty Smith was our sideline reporter. He was going to be downtown Nashville to give you the fans' account because the fans weren't allowed in. Anyway, long story short, we find out an out literally 60 minutes for tip off. Nope, they just pulled the final plug. God, that's and that was all she wrote. But we had a, uh, a steakhouse dinner at a, at a uh, gosh, it was up like, uh, like a sky view of all downtown Nashville. Ooh. And I want to make sure I don't, not like I'm getting free steaks out of it, but the name of that place escapes me right now. That is one of the best overall meals that I've had. Is it called Prime or is it called somebody? Uh, Prime sounds, that sounds right. That, that sounds about right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a one word, like swanky, bougie name. And we all, as, as a staff, went there for dinner. That was fantastic. Now, I know that's not what SEC fans want. They want the, give me the greasy spoon type of place. You know, look, Oxford's got... The reputation is accurate. You go in the square, you're not going to be disappointed with the meal that you get. When I go to Gainesville, I hook up with Chris Doring. We go to Dragonfly if you like sushi. Uh, that's a great place. Um, if you go to uh, Starkville, you got to do Little Dewey's. You got to get some barbecue there. Baton Rouge, again, too many places to even think of just one. You go to Como. Good luck getting a reservation, but CC Broilers is outstanding. I, they don't take reservations, so good luck getting a table. Um, man, oh, and and I keep going back to steakhouses, and I apologize. You can see that. Don't mind. apologize. No. Uh, College Station, they've got a they've got a supreme one, uh, and I'm going to forget this now. But one word, one word, stay. Oh, the Republic, I believe it's called. Yeah, Republic, outstanding. That's one of the best meals you're going to get in the Southeastern Conference. I mean, I can get you a good meal in just about any SEC city. There's not many where you're going to walk away and be like, I didn't have a single good meal on this trip. Don't tweet at Mike during a game about his, but about any sort of bias or, Oh, you root for this team. Just, just ask him for food recommendations. Just, just, just ask me for food recommendations. Simple as that. Okay. Yeah. Your, your favorite co color analyst to work with ever was who? On which sport? Any. Well, uh, you know, I have to say this, especially uh, we're all concerned about his health right now. I grew up watching Dick Vitale call college basketball games. I got a phone call five years ago to work a tournament that I've worked several times in Orlando. Um, it was called the Advocare Invitational. Now, I, I believe it's the Disney Invitational. Like a lot of these things, they change names. I did uh, three or four games with him that week and it's one of the few times I've ever been awestruck. I've worked with Heisman Trophy winners. I've worked with uh, legendary athletes in every sport, but nothing 
prepared me for like, okay, I'm about to work with Dick Vitale. I, I grew up just watching so many games with this guy. Uh, I just was such a fan of, of him promoting the game of college basketball. And then all of a sudden now I'm working with him. And of course we're getting ready for the game. There is a line, you know, we're always there front court and center. There is a rope, like we're at a, a movie premiere and there's a line of, of people waiting and they're all not waiting for Mike Morgan's autograph. I can tell you that they're waiting for <laughs> Dick Vitale's autograph. And this is like, this is like a half hour before we're on the air Jeez. and he signed every stinking one of them. He's, he's that good of an individual. I, you know, every, opinions on announcers are always going to be polarizing. I know Dick Vitale is not for everybody. I get it. Uh, maybe some people like Dick Vitale more 10 years ago than they do now. That, that's all a matter of opinion. But I will tell you this, unlike what I was telling you before with some of the folksiest people in broadcasting or behind the scenes, they're not really that folksy. Same thing with coaches. Dick Vitale is the real deal. Like You will not find a better human being that cares about the welfare of others the way Vitale does. So that was, that was a bucket lister for me. Um, I've worked with so many great uh, former players. Uh, I'm just trying to think football now. You know, I did four years of uh, Fox College football with Big 12 and Pac-12, which gave me a chance to kind of spread my wings a little bit, get out of my comfort zone of SEC. Brian Baldinger is a guy mm. who I worked with there, did a lot of years of NFL, who was uh, immensely talented and, and entertaining and uh, learned a lot from him. On the SEC side, I mean, just since we launched the network, I did the first game ever with Jordan Rogers. Mm, that's uh, right. Did the first game ever with Jordan Rogers at Vanderbilt, his alma mater. Uh, and you could tell right away, like he was, he got it. Like he was going to be just fine. <laughs> and so he's all right. Yeah. The rest there is, is history. I mean, everybody from Barrett Jones, former Alabama offensive lineman. Uh, I mean, we would go into like tape rooms and he goes, Mike, what do you know about offensive line plays? Like, you sound like, you know, like, you know, wide receiver routes. I'm like, well, that's what I played in high school. And he's like, yeah. And you, you talk the game pretty well. I'm like, I hope so. I try. He goes, what do you know about offensive line play? I said, Barrett, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know anything. Like I, I know two tackles, two guards, a center. You know, I, I, I know counter tray. I know, like, I know like five plays, but I could never really break down tape. And we sat there and he's like rewinding it in slow motion. He's teaching me like, that's a combo block. And this is this. And he's like pop quizzing me where I had to learn some offensive line principles, something I never did ever in my life. Uh, so he's one of the smartest guys that I ever worked with. And I, and I learned a lot. You know, recently I worked with Hudson Mason for a couple of years, former Georgia quarterback, who I, I think is uh, uh, very talented. I've worked with Andre Ware, Heisman Trophy winner, a number of times, including a couple of times last year. I think Andre is one of the one of the best at what what he does. So I, I know I'm evading your question the way you want me to answer it, and I'm not doing it on purpose. I really don't have a favorite favorite. I, I, there's so many good guys that I've worked with that all have different skill sets. Okay, I'm a, this this will be the last one. Then I'm going to cut this off at three, and you're only allowed to give a one word response. How about this? Okay, Tom Hart, overrated, underrated, or properly <laughs> rated? <laughs> oh well, I'm sure if Tom was answering, he would say underrated, right? I mean, you know, Tom, Tom like all of us, Tom has his confidence in what he does. Uh, I'm hearing funny. overrated from you right now. 
No, not at all. Not, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't answer any of those on another play by play guy. I think Tom is exceptional at what he does. Tom, um, Tom and I just missed each other with the Braves because I was doing some radio and TV. That's what brought me to Atlanta in 2010. And then right around that time, as I was leaving, he came in and he did sideline for three years. Thought he did it uh, exceptionally well. Uh, It's not very often play by play guys do sideline. Uh, but he was doing it. So, uh, no, I think, uh, again, you want me to answer one word. Uh, I think he's probably rated where he should be, which is he does he does very good work for us, on, on much like me, on all three sports. I think that's a unique skill. There's a lot of guys that can do a good job on one or two, but to be able to do a good job on all three sports, to me, that is a very unique category. Mike, really appreciate it. Hope to see you soon. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up either at SEC media days or maybe an SEC game, um, hopefully in like September or something like that. I need to get yes. out in a hurry well, here. You know, two years ago, a lot of our games, as you know, were from our basements. But Way we're, better we're now. Not, yeah, we're way better now. So hopefully we'll cross paths at uh, some point on the SEC trail if I don't see it at uh, media days in Atlanta. But Connor, really, as I said on our podcast when we had you on, I really appreciate uh, your work and everybody at Surrey Down South. You guys do an outstanding job. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we're talking healthy food today. Um, Well, I think at some point... (laughs) This is Will's least favorite figuring out. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what, I think this this doesn't have to be a discussion just about what the best healthy foods are and shaming people. That's all we're here to do. Feels okay. like an intervention, I'll be honest. It is not, no, 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 it is, it is not. No judgments passed here today, so that's not what we're doing. But I, I think that everyone has probably had the realization in adulthood at some point about just the food that they eat and the way that it impacts them. Even if you eat whatever you want, whenever you want, and you don't really care. You at least acknowledge once you hit a certain point in adulthood, Taco Bell at three in the morning hits a little differently than it did five years ago. Yep. It just does. There are certain things you can get away with, certain things that you cannot. And whether or not you actually choose to address that, like that's your deal entirely. But the discussion of healthy food for me is like this is this fascinating balance. And I don't think it's you have to be totally all in with it. And if you are, and if I know people like my my aunt, who is in her early 70s, has been eating unbelievably healthy since she was, I think, 17, 18 years old. And she is like the model of perfect health. She's, she's had two different types of cancer in the last four years, and it's just like powering through. Her body's just yeah. ready. It's like, we've been building for this for 20 years. Let's get it. She is. She is. It's, it's unbelievable to watch. So I am not going to poo-poo that or people that really don't like cheat meals. If you want to be that person that eats totally clean all the time, like that's on you. Here's the way that I approach this. So I'm curious if you have kind of a similar mindset. Again, we're not shaming, Will. We're not shaming. Don't <laughs> give me that look. Okay. Breakfast, lunch routine, five, six days a week. I usually eat the same breakfast and lunch, okay? I think I've talked about that before. We kind of like relatively health slash slash budget conscious at dinner. Mm -hmm. And I'm just gonna say it though, with my breakfast and lunch routine, I think I've eaten more spinach than Popeye. (laughs) I think I have. I'm gonna make that claim. 
Let's fight about it, Popeye. Do you, right. do you ever just kind of go like one hitter and just crush that thing of spinach and then lift some weights? Uh, not quite, but more or less, <laughs> more or less. With the way I put, with the way I put spinach in the in, in the pan to saute every single morning with my eggs, I put in the eggs afterwards, of course. Oh, spinach and eggs is fire, yeah. That's a go-to mix. If you're yep. ever looking for a way to kind of sneak some veggies into your diet, I started doing that like probably seven years ago, something like that, and I'm, I'm hooked, I'm absolutely hooked. I, I'm just now pivoting away a little bit from the, the air fryer chicken lunch routine mm-hmm. where I'll have like cucumbers, green peppers on the side. Lauren proposed this new deal for me and we're in week one of it, so it's very, very new. I'm curious what you think about this. Mm-hmm. I give her $10 of cash that she can use on whatever she wants. We have shared accounts, so like take it for what it is. Mm-hmm. But I give her $10 of cash and she makes a lunch for both of us that week. Okay. Like just cooks, so we end up having the same thing and it's different. It's not necessarily just air fryer chicken, though I am a fan of that, of course. Mm-hmm. But she she does the cooking for it. Although yesterday I, I cooked the chicken, I cooked the bacon for the salad that we have. But she cooks basically everything for it. And I give her 10 bucks of cash. Am I paying too much? Am I paying too little? Or is that something that you're like, all right, that actually makes a lot of sense. I think that's adorable. I love that. I think it's a really cool little deal. I think it's good. I'll be curious if if this lasts during during the season when things get a little bit crazier, but I think we're set up well to be able to make it work. You are not, immediately I making me realize much. this is the time of the year that I usually eat because the season <laughs> is like, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. Buddy, the season is is approaching. We're, yeah. we're we're there. We're two months away. All right, it is it is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do that, and um, we, we'll just start doing that. And then breakfast is spinach, eggs, avocado, a whole lot of Texas Pete, wheat toast, avocado. You know the deal. Um, so I try to be mindful of healthy eating, but I'm not steaming veggies instead of roasting them. I'm not doing that. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm roasting my veggies. I'm not doing like tracking macros on my fitness pal or something like that which by the way is excellent and if you are looking for a way to be able to like lose weight that's that's the exact way to do it it makes a lot of sense um but then on the weekends we just eat what sounds good right we do lauren decided on saturday night that cinnamon roll sounded good so you know what we had on sunday morning we had paula dean's buttery cinnamon rolls heck yeah we did. a lot of butter so much butter but delicious they were good I, I've just tried to get as many vegetables into my diet like during during the week and then on the weekend, all right, we're gonna get after it a little bit. Don't eat enough fruit, I definitely don't. But if I have like a week where I'm out of town and I don't eat well, I, I don't know about you, I crave those get right meals mm-hmm. that, that are just loaded with veggies and like, just make me not feel terrible after eating. That's all I want right now. Yep. <laughs> get, get things moving a little bit, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> That, yeah, the early workout after you've eaten like crap and you just keep thinking to yourself, like, there's p- 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 praying to whatever God that will listen. Listen, after this dog, I'm not going to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm quitting junk food, I swear, I swear. <laughs> just feel like the Doritos or the, the tacos just bubble up as you're like, like doing lifts. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> it's... It's tough. It's a delicate balance because you don't want to take all these foods out of your out of your diet if you're if you're trying to eat relatively healthy. But it's it's difficult. And there's like a cost benefit analysis. Will, what's that twenty dollars cereal that you eat? Oh my gosh, Magic Spoon! Shout out Magic Spoon. Uh, yeah. So real real quick on the on the eating thing for me. So the I was on the My Fitness Pal thing for a couple of months actually. Uh, just spelling me wrecked everything. Uh, it was just like a you know 
spent a whole week out of town and was prepping, like staying up late before that. So not like this is, uh, the reason why it was funny is literally me and Brittany talked about like, we're gonna start tracking our meals like starting today. So you doing this was actually perfect. But that is kind of a, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, cheat code, right? The magic spoon cereal. Cause it's like, it's, it's all like the grains in it aren't even really bad grains. And so it's just straight up like 20 grams of protein per serving. If you eat like a regular serving, but for me, going a little bit more than that. So point, <laughs> so point being like, it's, that's a really good cheat code. And then, yeah, like those little, um, the, the protein shakes, like the ones that are like smoothies, they're fruit flavored, and the ones like the Costco ones are fire. So those are my like kind of staples. Cause I'm always, I'm always protein heavy. Like that's my thing. Like I'm either Mr. Like dirty uh, bulk or Mr. junk food. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm either gonna eat a ton of protein or I'm gonna eat bad food. But but either way, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I if I have like bad food, I try to like get protein in it. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, same same sort of thing. Yeah, if you're gonna eat something that you know you don't want to eat on its own, you got to mix it in with something. And exactly. Just kind of force it down. Yeah. Mix it like, into a salad. All right. Like that's the only way I'm 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 gonna eat a radish. Okay. Right. Otherwise, that's that's not happening. We're not, we're not doing it. We're not we're just gonna sit there. I'm not gonna sit there and eat a beet. Okay. I'm not Dwight Schrute. Wow. If you want to find a way to oven roast this propaganda on this big podcast. Time wow. Can't do it. Brussels sprouts though. <clears throat> I'm coming around to always Brussels sprouts. Oh, they're fire, dude. I love Brussels sprouts. We figured out so many more things to do with them, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, th- th- it doesn't necessarily make them healthy, but it makes them taste very, very good. It makes me trick myself into thinking that they're healthy, even though they're like, you know, pan roasted and like pounds of butter and they've got bacon on them, but they are, they are absolutely delicious done right. So that's just the way that I kind of try and approach eating vegetables that I, I wouldn't probably eat by themselves. Although those definitely coming around too. Okay. Facebook group, great responses for this. Um, I asked the questions in the Facebook group. What's the balance you have between eating healthy and not, if you maintain a healthy diet, when slash what is your cheat meal? Oven roasted veggies, yeah or nah, I'm definitely yeah on that. Mm-hmm. What's the healthy food that you eat reluctantly? And then any healthy food horror stories that we always look for. So let's start off with this one from Cody, Kobe Black. Uh, Kobe says, I deliver for UPS. So during the work week, I normally put in around 15,000 or more steps per day. Dang. Mm-hmm. So I have discovered that keeping a calorie count of about uh, 2,500 a day keeps me where I need to be. This allows me to eat whatever I want on the weekends. It doesn't hurt. I work in Arizona where the calories literally melt off like butter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Living in a, a warm climate year round, you definitely get that, that benefit. I where know. I know I can sweat it out if I feel like absolute crap. And, I, and if I'm feeling like really bad, we're like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna go sweat out a, a run, a workout or something like that and make me feel better about eating this meal that I know is probably gonna make me a little bit heavier right now. Um, you know what they say. I think that's the right approach. It's the humidity. <laughs> Such a dad quote. <laughs> the best dad quote. Speaking of that, definitely, room, guys. never the heat. If you guys haven't seen Kobe Black's uh, Abby, like his picture out here, one of the one of the most adorable pictures I've ever seen. It's just like him with like a my first day as a UPS driver thing. It's like one of those little placards that they like write on with the kids. It's super cute. He's like holding his whole family. Just great. That's my only takeaway. Who doesn't love seeing the UPS driver yeah, come up facts. to the door? They're one of my favorite people on this earth, man. Yeah, most people when they come to your door, you're like, get away. Don't want to see you. <laughs> one of the very few. You know what, Kobe? You show up on a doorstep. You're getting a smile. Okay? Yes. I'm pumped. Unless it's something bad, in which case, turn around. I don't need that. Let's go to this one from uh, Garrett Young. 
Garrett says, Bojangles is slowly killing me, but it's worth every bite. It's a good cheat meal. Fair. Fried chicken is an all-time great, great cheat meal. Okay. If you are trying to eat healthy, you're not eating anything that tastes quite like that. And it breaks it up to where it actually feels like that. If I'm having a cheat meal, I don't want cauliflower pizza. Facts. I don't. I don't want to trick myself into thinking, like, I, I'm going to go for it. Okay. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do the real thing. We're going we're gonna to make sure that, that it tastes very much like the authentic thing. Now, I understand if you're trying to do that, not, not necessarily as a cheat meal, but it was a more sustainable thing. That's one thing. But yeah, cheat meals should be like fried chicken or pizza or a cheeseburger or something like that. Do you follow um, The Rock on Instagram? Oh, yes. His cheat meals? The stuff of legend. Yep. I mean, I, I look forward to that Sunday post every single time when he's just got like like four burgers and like six cookies sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, surely no human being can have it. Oh, and then of course it's tequila. It's just, just sitting right there. I don't know. Is, is, do you consider alcohol to be part of a cheat meal? Alcohol is really interesting because like you could, the, the joke from Parks and Rec, right? Where it was Chris, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, the dude who was a goofy Chris guy. Chris Pratt. Yeah, Chris Pratt, where he had like, hey, he had just done like Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And there was like a throwaway line. That's the funniest one in that show where they're just like, hey, because he got ripped because he did Guardians of the Galaxy. He's like, hey, you look really different. And he's like, yeah, I just stopped drinking beer. Yeah. It's like, how much were you drinking? <laughs> Probably too much. Probably too much, yeah. They just never addressed it again. Dude, like, left built like me and came back built like just like a first round project. Like, all right. Yeah, seeing Andy Dwyer just form into this like chiseled dude overnight. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we should probably address that in some way. And as Parks and Rec always does, they absolutely nailed the, the proper way to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're, if you're someone who, um, like you set aside certain cheat meals, like you plan cheat meals. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's like the best motivation. Lauren oh, always yeah. talks about that. Coming out of swimming on Friday morning, she always says coming out of swimming on Friday morning, she's always thinking about what we're gonna have for dinner on Friday night. Yep. And that that motivates you. And so sometimes, yeah, you fall off the wagon a little bit, but I think it's worth it. And I don't know, I'm never, I'm, I'm, I'm probably never at a place in my life where I'm going to give up a cheat meal, unless things really go downhill for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Hopefully not though. TBD on that. Derek Walden. Derek says, I try to eat healthy-ish most of the time. Turkey, chicken, steak, fish. Our cheat meals are uh, either going out to eat with friends once a week. If we don't do that, Sundays are our cheat day where we don't really watch what we eat. We do blizzard Sundays. Love that. Oh, yeah. where, we, where we go to Dairy Queen and get a blizzard. Reluctant, healthy food is broccoli. But I put some Parmesan on it to make it pl uh, palatable. Any veggies I'm eating have to either be oven roasted or cooked on the Traeger. Of course, somebody with a Traeger is going to bring up a Traeger. By the way, guys, talk about eating healthy, I just want to let you all know I have a Traeger. So. Just got to let you know. Just got to let you It's the CrossFit of grilling. It is. <laughs> it truly is. I would eat veggies off the Traeger for yeah. what it's worth. And Blizzard Sundays is a great little tradition. They've got the, the summer Blizzard lineup menu that I see all the time where they never really show you the flavors. You have to pause it to see what's actually on the flavors or go to the website. It's a nice little trick that Dairy Queen does where I'm like, wait, is that a peanut butter cup? And then I'll either have to rewind and slow it down and make sure that my brain processes that. They don't give you the full name of the Blizzard right what under What service is this me. on? Is this like at the menu? Like what do you? No, 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 like watching on TV. If you oh, see a commercial Dairy Queen got you, yeah, 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 okay. They go through it so fast. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's like six different things in that. I gotta slow it down, I gotta see what's in that. Instant this, replay this on the Yes. It's instant replay all the time. It's very, very smart and effective. 
and it makes us crave Dairy Queen. Mm -hmm. So, why does Dairy Queen have the longer spoons? <laughs> We're asking the real questions here, Goddard. I don't know. I don't know. Dairy Queen's oh, so good. I'll never get sick of Dairy Queen. Okay. Michael Dark says, after I moved to Georgia, I started working 50 plus hour weeks at Chili's in the kitchen at night and going to school during the day. When I was working, I decided to start eating better. The previous year when I got married, I was 280 pounds. Because we were busy all the time, I had to eat quickly. My go-to meals were usually grilled chicken, salmon, or anything I can make into tacos. I never had time for sides, just entrees. Fast forward nine months to a random doctor visit and I found out that I dropped 100 pounds. Oh, let's Holy go. Cow. That is crazy. Since then, I gained 40 back. Um, the moral of the story is in order to eat healthier, all you have to do is work so much that you only have time to eat like 800 calories and work nonstop. Um, I don't know that that's the best healthy long-term way, but congratulations to you for losing that weight because that is not an easy thing to do at all. I don't know if he meant to phrase it like that found out that I dropped 100 pounds. <laughs> Casually dropped 100 pounds one time. <laughs> had to redo the entire wardrobe, figured out that this was changing my entire lifestyle, but walked into that doctor's office and they told me, sir, you've lost 100 pounds. I knew something felt different. <laughs> is that how that works? Yeah, I think I realized the other day, I think my entire life is just going up and down and up and down in weight. And I think it's directly correlated to me being in relationships. Like I think the longer I'm in a relationship, the chubbier I get. And then if I'll go through a breakup and just be like, all right, I've eaten grilled chicken. And like, six months later, wait, 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 like, what? what? You do that when you break up with someone, you don't go into your post breakup mm -hmm. funk? No, no, no. When I'm healthy and I'm comfortable and I'm in a relationship, I gain weight. Whenever I break up with someone, I get angry and I'm like, see, this is why I'm the man. Right. I gotta I gotta get back. Like the there's this joke going around like all the social media apps. It's like he's taking the forbidden pre. Like the forbidden pre-workout is just like a breakout text and the guy's like, oh <laughs> like two inch bicep curls. <laughs> You're, okay, so I'm gonna do a 180 on that. The biggest motivation I ever had to start taking my, my, my health and my fitness seriously and to, to kind of change my diet was getting a certain look from a girl I was interested in. Mm -hmm. Pre-Lauren, by the way. That, happened, that same thing happened to me too. That was the first time I got skinny, that's funny. You, you kind of know, like you, you feel it. And it's like a certain insecurity level that for whatever reason, I, there doesn't have to be anything said, but you just kind of know the way that people people look at you and they approach you. And, and then you think to yourself, huh, I don't want to really feel like that again. Right. And even if it means kind of eating these 300 calorie lean cuisines that I could probably eat six of, yep. um, I think this is what I'm going to do. And that's, that's what gave me the kick in the pants. So I, I stand corrected. You're exactly right when it comes to that. But on the, on the Michaels thing really quick, uh, man, this guy is just living a life of service. We love to see that at him. He's like, obviously like a teacher and everything now. It's like, yeah, doing like massive weeks in food service. Just what a king, generally. What a That's king. All I got. Dang. Emery says, as a thick king like Will Ockburn, <laughs> I'm gonna bow out of this one. what you set me up for. <laughs> I, look, I think that there are a lot more ways to be able to access healthier foods now than 15, 20 years ago. Right. This is something that Lauren and I talk about all the time. Are we going to, like, if we have kids, like, are we going to cook veggies for them the same way that our parents cooked veggies for us? No way. There's no disgusting. way. Yeah, like, there's new, there's technology now. It's PEDs, basically. And, but sometimes, though, if you have some of those traumatic childhood experiences where you're choking down veggies or mm -hmm. being forced to eat lima beans or something like that, first of all, who is still out there eating lima beans? Who are these people? 
That's a Southern grandma specialty. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, sell lima beans on these waves. I personally can't make them, but somebody's grandma can. So keep making those. Maybe beans. I just need, maybe I need to have oven roasted lima beans. I don't even know if that's a thing. That, that's, sure, that's the one I can't touch though. I'm sure by the time the lima beans get to where they're good though, they're not healthy to answer your question. So what is the point? That's a different conversation. Great point. But yeah, I, I, I think about that a lot of how differently will our kids be exposed to and consume vegetables based on the prep. And, and it's easier to say this now as somebody who doesn't have kids and the time constraints are totally different. But I would like to think that they'll be introduced to foods in that sort of way mm-hmm. and not just being told you must wolf down this steamed and or microwaved broccoli, random vegetable peas or something like that and you will eat this because we say you must eat it and not actually incorporate it into like oh a recipe that is is really good and this you know there's a certain like there's a certain way to probably sneak quinoa to vegan chili and it's delicious Mm -hmm. and there are certain things that you can do to kind of trick kids because that's what that's what the goal of every parent should be trick your kids eating healthy food marry chase with your kids at the end of adulthood you just hope you don't get caught really yeah, I might be totally out, of, uh, uh, like totally off on that one, just as somebody who doesn't have kids yet. But right. I think there's there's got to be a way to trick your kids into eating healthy food. Okay, um, let's end with this one from. Um, sorry, Drew Page. Um, we're gonna end with this one from Zachary Walden. Zachary says, I eat a pretty balanced and non-junk food diet, but I can't help myself for fried chicken livers and gravy. Lord help me, that's a heck of a combination. Oh, really, yeah. any fried chicken or fish, but especially livers. I can't do livers. I can't. I can't, just doesn't sit right. Just can't do it. Um, baked veggies and grilled veggies is the way to do it with just a little cooking oil and salt and pepper. I once had too many oven-baked Brussels sprouts the night before some work meetings. I just ate them like popcorn. The yeah. next day, the gas I had, had to hold in was tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> the gas I had to hold in was tremendous. What a sentence. I felt like I could have levitated if I let him, if I let them fly, but not exactly appropriate in a conference room. This boy was genie from Aladdin, just floating around in the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Some, sometimes, man, those just hit in a different sort of way. If you know what I'm saying, not to get too graphic on these airwaves. Once having that realization in the conference room as well, not great. And then you say to yourself afterwards, see, this is why you don't eat healthy foods. Just pass on them. Mm-hmm. They're gonna give you gas. You don't wanna be bloated. I don't wanna feel like that. I wanna feel good. That's the whole point of eating healthy foods, right? Right. I don't know. Thank you to everybody who responded. We got a little bit of a different setup this week. So, oh no, before, do before we close, yeah. we got Lad of the Week. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Almost forgot that. Uh, Will, fire away, Lad of the Week. Yes, so this has been a pretty uh, wild week in America, but you know, not to talk about any of that. It's also a very happy week uh, for a certain you know group of individuals who were drafted in the National Basketball Association. And one of them, one of my favorites, uh, Jaden Ivey, right? So Jaden Ivey, kind of gave us a couple of pillars of latitude, right? So first thing he did is he pretty much just uh, told the Kings to go away. So anyone that does that, I think is a really smart person. So Kings probably- He's a king. Yeah, he's actually literally a king and not metaphorically a king. So right. there's, there's, there's you know two lessons in here, right? So he should have gone forth to the to Sacramento, for sure. Uh, he straight up kind of told his agent, told them, do not draft me, I don't want to go there. And they were like, fine, they took Murray, who's like kind of going to contribute um, right away, which that goes to show you where the Kings think they are as an organization. 
basically why he didn't want to go there. So there's number one. Number two is, and so obviously the narrative got painted of him, you know, oh my gosh, this guy is a diva, da 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 Well, then he got drafted. And when he got drafted, this dude was Bollock. It was the best like draft day moment for me for sure because he was just like, oh my gosh, I get to realize my dreams. Like this is great. He was like hugging on his mom. He had like a super cool story with his mom that was like immediately through to a commercial where like his mom was basically just like in his life the whole time, his biggest cheerleader. She was in the commercial with him. Super cool. Man, so I guess third tenant of just things I love, mama's boys, right? So cool So cool thing about Ivy, right? This is kind of the, the lad lesson in here, right? It's like, you know, you don't have to live your dreams on other people's terms, you know? At the end of the day, you, ha you can have your career and have the things that you want the way that you want them, and that's okay. And he's obviously gotten to the point where he didn't want to be have his talent wasted by an organization. But then, like I said, everyone was like, oh, well, you know, this guy is selfish, he's X, Y, and Z. Once he had that moment, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy for this kid. I'm so happy that he is going to be, and I think he could be probably, I'd probably say behind Paolo is like my favorite to be a star in the league. And if you get that guy at five, you're rejoicing, you know, if you're the Pistons. Um, but point being, you know, he came from Purdue, not a school, believe it or not, that has a ton of draft um, history as far as- Say that again. <laughs> Exactly. I could name a lot more Indiana guys, even in the common Indiana era, that have been stars. Um, shout out Noah Vonley, right? Not exactly a star, but you know what I'm saying. Like, so point, Victor Oladipo, come on. I know. OG but, uh, Ananobi. OG, yeah. yeah, come on. NBA champion. Cody uh, Zeller. Cody Zeller. He's, you know, still doing his thing. Anyway, so point being, uh, but yeah, so the point being, like, Purdue isn't known for really, like, stars. And so it's like, you know, have your own path, make it your way, and don't be ashamed to cry. Don't be ashamed to celebrate your happiness, celebrate your victories. And that's why you're allowed to be weak, Jaden Ivey. Just pump for you, dog. Gonna be rooting for you every step of the way. His mom's uh, was WNBA player, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That was a very nice moment. I love those draft moments. Those are always really good. Feels like right, in the NBA, it, they don't try to they don't try to manufacture that as much as football. Feels like the guys that are like not from the gutter are just like cool. I'm here. I'm happy. And the other guys are like, oh, dude, I, just come talk to me after this draft. I got some stories for you. Yeah, we'll see how it is when some of these guys who have already made like upwards of ten million dollars in college are handling getting drafted. It's like, oh, I gotta take a pay cut. Too bad. <laughs> Facts, <laughs> we'll see yeah. how that works. Wow, yeah, NIL is gonna change the pre-draft packaging because it's like, y'all ain't been struggling for four years now. You got a house. Yeah. NIL, he's just sitting down with a contract in front of him like, oh yeah, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out the terms. And I, I'd like a raise though. Y'all got me an extension? Raise. This is fire. Yeah. <laughs> all right, my letter of the week, Bill Clark, UAB head coach. Oh yeah. Announced that he was retiring on Friday. Uh, health issues, spinal problems. Dude had his program shut down after year one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, just the type of stuff that you do not see in college football. All of his best players bolted. Jordan Howard, I remember, going to IU. That was like a really big deal. Uh, running back who's, I think, still in the NFL, maybe? I don't know. I haven't checked up on that recently. But anyways, all Bill Clark does is go and rebuild the thing um, and, and totally overhauls the program after he had to build it up, build it back up from nothing. They go 28 and eight against Conference USA competition, never had a losing record there, which is an unbelievable thing to do mm -hmm. at UAB. One of those guys that you just always kind of thought he was gonna get a chance to rebuild a Power Five program. And I don't think we're gonna see that happen now with his issues and 
um, hopefully that he is doing, hopefully he's doing well and he's able to kind of get the, the, the medical treatment that he, he needs, still wants to stay involved in the program. But just one of those things that I don't know that we talked about probably as much as we should um, just in the college football world and how amazing of an accomplishment that is in the 21st century in this era. And especially to do that in that state where last I checked, there are a lot of talented football players that you're never going to be able to get. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of reality. So Bill Clark, Jaden Ivey, last of the week. Real quick, Bill Clark, he's one of my favorite people. I'm really glad that you brought him up. I, a lot of my friends with UAB, obviously I went to Hoover and like coming up through that whole thing, it's like he was an outlier of everything, right? Because you talked about mentioning him with other Power 5 jobs and he just never took one. He could have taken one and he is, you know, you talk about him and maybe like Gary Patterson, as far as guys that are builders, I guess you could probably throw Dabo in there too. That's a little bit disrespectful. Dabo as well, but guys that just like, I mean, they had no football program. And so it's going to be fascinating to see what happens because if you think about their over under every year, I mean, he must to hit the over every single year because that was a place that was deemed unviable and he made them into a winning culture and it's going to go so underappreciated what he did for that team because they were such a small market team but i love everything he's done there he's a for my, by all accounts a great guy and kind of fitting like in an ironic bad way but like he you know it he put the team on his back you know what i'm saying he had back pain and that's why he ended up re- like what's it called um retiring but it's like we joked about that i was like yes yeah, because he put the team on his back like getting yeah. out on your own terms like be like hey like hey man i'm not gonna do this whole thing where i go leave and do x y and z and i'm in pain it's like awesome he's forged his own path this entire time that's fire can we see jeremy pruitt take that job come on bro could we could come we on, i don't know come on bro <laughs> That'd be interesting. Makes Good. a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Um, okay. A little bit of housekeeping. We, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is no pod next week mm-hmm. because I will be in Utah. Family vacation, 4th of July. going to be a lot of fun. The good news is that we are recording again later this week. So on top of the emergency pod that we did for Archmanic, the Archmanic commitment last week, that means consecutive weeks of multiple pods in June. So that should hopefully tie everybody over. Um, and there's plenty of content to go catch up on and listen to, to past, past pods that we've done. A lot of these have been really evergreen. So now would be a good time to be able to catch up, get ready for the start of the season. And I know it's preseason magazine season as well. Oh yeah. So just sneak those pods in there, your road trip, 4th of July, just be able to catch up on stuff. And um, yeah, please, if you have not, give us a five-star review. Join the Facebook group, your name Red on Air with Figure It Out or Bold and Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.